0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to All N. My name is Seth Splitters, Future Perfect.
1: And I'm When the Past Was Eric. You know, Seth, I feel like this nostalgia wave I've been surfing for a couple weeks now is just getting stronger, honestly. You may say I'm stuck in the past with as much fun as I've been having with Pac-Man and KO at the Kangaroo, though. Honestly, I'm just perfectly happy to stay back here.
0: Come on, Eric. We can't keep living in the past. There's so much awesome stuff to look forward to. In the future, like a lot of stories we'll be talking about in this week's news roundup, including Pokemon, which oddly I think is living in both the past and the future. Pokemon, man,
1: that there's a franchise that gets me nostalgic I'd be perfectly happy to just talk about that for a while.
0: Well, that's good to hear because we're going to. Even after eight generations, there are still a bunch of IRL animals that need their own Pokemon counterparts, and we're going to be counting down our most deserving in this week's top five.
1: Okay, okay. And after that, how about we spend some time looking back on the GBA, we do... We just don't talk about that system enough on
0: the show. How about I do you one better, Eric? What if I told you we're going to be joined by the awesome Tony Grayson this week to talk about his forthcoming GBA-inspired platformer currently exploding on Kickstarter, Anton Blast?
1: Explosions? Okay, you know, I won't lie. That I, that actually does sound pretty awesome. Uh, but but also, it's it's officially June. But well, with no proper E3 this year, it, it's also made me really nostalgic for, for those E3s of
0: old. I know, I know, me too. But look, think about the future, Eric. The show is still going to go on, and even though we don't know when and we don't know where, we know we are still in store for a massive Nintendo Direct this month, and we have to give the people all of our predictions for the future of Nintendo in 2022. You
1: know what's Seth? You know what? I think you're right. I think we can still appreciate the past while looking forward to the future. You know, let's get this timey, whimey show on the road. It's time to go all in.
0: That's right, everybody. We are happy and thrilled, as always, to be bringing you another episode of All In Nintendo Podcast, the weekly Nintendo variety show where each and every Saturday, no shells left unturned and no point is left unearned. Hey, Eric, is there is there something weird going on? Is there? Does this feel a little bit weird to you? Something different? We're living different? in
1: both the past
0: and the future. <laughs> the future being, of course
1: technology
0: technology <laughs> we are uh currently so this is a new endeavor for us a little bit of housekeeping right here at the top um we are going to be doing kind of the first half of our show live from now on on twitch.tv slash all in podcast you can tune in at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific on friday nights to catch the, uh, basically first segments of our show being recorded live each week. Our community has been wanting us to do something like this for a long time. And, um, we already have a lot of people hanging out. So it's so, so cool to see everybody. And, um, I, I mean, yeah, this is something that we've been looking to do for a long time and we haven't been able to find a great way to make it work for us the way we produce our show. There's so much laborious production that goes into All In, and um, it's it's been a, a long road to hoe to to get this figured out, but we're so happy to finally be here live recording this segment for y'all. And um,
1: Yes. Yeah, huge thank you to everybody who is joining us live, and if you're listening to the podcast, a huge thank you to everyone who joined us live that's right. last night for our very first ever live news broadcast.
0: That's right. And uh, we also have got a shiny new five star review to oh, shout out. Oh, that at. sounds shiny. That's so to, to to really sort of ring in the occasion. Uh, we've got a five star review on Pod Chaser from our dear friend and treasured all-in community member Presto the Magnificent. <laughs> so So this is where the magic happens. (laughs) (laughs) This is actually where the magic happens. Presto came in with his magic wand and he left us an awesome five-star review. Presto says, this is one of the best Nintendo podcasts on the internet. Loads of creativity, a strong focus on indies, and informative retrospectives are what make this show amazing. It's a long show, but it doesn't feel long. Not to mention the Discord community is amazing and you should totally join in on the fun, subtle plug. Also, subscribe to the All In YouTube channel. They're trying to get a thousand subs so they can access some more YouTube tools and actually get paid for the ads on their videos. Not to mention the videos are just great, especially the Behind Enemy Lines videos. Overall, the podcast is great, but everything adjacent to the podcast from YouTube to Twitch to Discord is also magnificent. So nice.
1: We got we got to pay him extra for that <laughs> one.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. He's really he's he's working for his money, man. Presto the magnificent. Not a paid review. Just uh just a very uh, treasured all end community member who left that review on PodChaser. Just like y'all can uh, over on iTunes, PodChaser, and Audible, you can leave written reviews. And if you do that, I will shout you out here at the beginning of the show. Now live for everybody to see. So uh, really, really appreciate that magnificent review. Presto. <laughs> mm, I
1: see what you did there.
0: Literally, I actually see what you, you did you there. Actually, now. This is also kind of weird for us because we don't normally we're not actually normally on camera, believe it or not, when we record. We're just disembodied voices talking to each other. So th- this is actually a little bit weird for us. So so um you I just know.
1: always picture Seth as a bearded angel when we're typically recording the I
0: podcast. mean that's that's it. I'm just like bearded cherub Seth over here. Um <laughs> but anyway, with all of that out of the way, sir. What's been going on with you this week?
1: Okay, so a certain collection came out at the tail end of last week, which I actually happened to have on behind me as I are you talking recording about? this. Yeah. Uh, Pac-Man Museum Plus released late last week, and I was actually super stoked for it because quite a few games in the collection I hadn't been able to really ever play yet. And I've got to say, I have been having a ton of fun with the Pac-Man Museum Plus collection. I've actually rolled credits on four separate titles in that collection already just this week. Wow. Uh, It's it's got a lot of variety in it. Obviously, it's got a lot of the old Pac-Man games like Pac-Man, Super Pac-Man, Pac and Pal, even Pac-Mania. There's a lot of classic style Pac-Man goodness in there, but there's also, you know, Pac-Land. For those of you who have played Super Smash Brothers, you remember that Pac-Land stage with the big fairy at the end. Pac-Land, the... The inspiration for that stage is actually here in the collection. There's another really bizarre action platformer called Pack in Time, where <laughs> it honestly really has nothing to do with Pac-Man. It's just the character of Pac-Man was turned into a boy a la Goku at the beginning of Dragon Ball GT wow. and sent through time. <laughs> uh, it doesn't play remotely like classic Pac- uh, Pac-Man, but it's still an interesting title there's some multiplayer titles in there there's i'm addicted to Pac-Man 256 yeah which is a, a roguelite version of the classic Pac-Man gameplay which i have been getting super addicted to i've done dozens of runs of Pac-Man 256 it's uh it's just so much the fact that there's like a dozen different themes In that game too, so you do like 12 different runs. You can play as a completely different theme each time. There's even different playable characters depending on the theme. They've got like classic style Pac-Man theme, a Pac-Mania theme. Pac-Mania also is in this collection. A couple versions of uh, a Pac-Man arrangement, which is like the classic Pac-Man gameplay set to an actual campaign style game experience. Uh, They've got a championship edition I mean, I can't believe I haven't mentioned championship I mean, edition yet. The
0: best championship Pac-Man edition,
1: game. yeah, it's the goat. Yeah. And the cool thing is, is in between all of that, they've set up the main menu as this Animal Crossing like customizable arcade where you play as Pac Man. You just run around your arcade. You can buy a whole bunch of accoutrements. You can unlock a whole bunch of stuff and completely customize your your arcade with it. So after you play a game and earn a bunch of coins while playing it. You can, you know, like I said, in between games, you can buy some gotcha ponds at the gotcha pond machine and go for those rare figures. You can buy some new decorations for your arcade and just spend a few minutes running around saying hi to all the ghosts and, you know, putting down some new decorations and then hop into another different style Pac-Man game. There's a couple, this would be right up your alley, Seth. There's a couple marble roller style Pac-Man games in here. Yeah, both of those I've actually ran credits on this past week. There's there's a lot of variety. I'm I'm having a ton, a ton of fun. I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Seth, I definitely recommend you pick it up at some I point. I got to. There's yeah, there's no online multiplayer, but there is there are several games in here that do support up to four-player multiplayer. Pac-Man two fifty six is one of them. There's an actual Pac-Man uh, four player multiplayer Pac-Man battle royale game in here and there's a few other games that support multiplayer as well so i've said it already a couple times but there's just a ton of variety here in pac-man museum plus i love collections like this obviously we've gotten namco collections before we've gotten sega collections before but it's just kind of like a greatest hits there's no real connective thread with all the games i really like those collections where it's like a legacy collection right Of a character. That's one of the reasons I'm so hyped for uh, Sonic Origins. One of the reasons I'm so excited for the Cowabunga collection. So I just, I really love these legacy style collections where you can chart the evolution of a character from the original arcade game up through actual decades of game evolution. That's just always been really interesting to me. And the 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 package is just it's only 19.99 if you want to get it digitally it's 10 bucks more if you want to pick it up physically but if you're a fan of Pac-Man at all i do recommend checking it out i you know as much fun as i'm having i hate to say this but i do kind of wish the the Pac-Man World games were in here as a big kind of cherry on the cake but that just those three games included alone probably would have tripled the price probably would have made it full retail price but for what's here like I said I've been playing the the mess out of this game all week long and again if you're a Pac-Man fan I definitely recommend checking it out it's a really impressive little collection from Namco uh also on top of that got caught up on uh uh, got caught up on Obi-Wan so We're halfway through the show now. For those who have not seen it, watch, because episode three is, I don't want to spoil anything, but if you've been a fan of Star Wars for any length of time, you need to watch episode three. Uh, That's really all I feel like I should say.
0: Almost had a heart attack. Almost had a heart attack. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Seth is he here shaking his head the whole time. was like, oh, oh man, that episode. Oh man, that episode. Dude,
0: that show is unbelievable. It, it is unbelievable that we have that show. <laughs> I cannot believe that show exists. Like, it is it's it is a miraculous show. I uh, yeah. It's great.
1: I haven't been able to watch the first part of Stranger Things season four, but hopefully I'll be able to catch that this weekend. Uh, also, I also want to make sure to find some time for the uh, Mario Strikers Battle League. Yes, first kick that's going on this weekend. So, if you downloaded that last week, do remember. I'm sure you. I'm sure it's hard for many of you to forget, considering how hype we are for this game. But yes, the Mario Strikers First Kick weekend is going on this weekend. So, hopefully, we'll see a few of you online in some matches.
0: Yeah, full game is out next week, and I know we're gonna have to set up a community game night for uh, yes. for Mario Strikers with that uh, with that game coming out next week. So that'll be fun. I'm already I'm kind of talking to Andross from the Nintendo Pals. We might do another kind of cross community game night next week for Mario Strikers because I know they're excited too. So. That'll be fun. We do
1: have a good time every time we cross over with them. Yeah, had a great time with the new Mario Kart DLC that dropped a couple months ago. Had a great time. Still one of my favorite multiplayer game moments of all time when we played Mario Party Superstars with them. Yes. So yeah, Nintendo Switch Sports.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Nintendo Switch
1: Sports. Yeah, we've we've had a ton of fun with the pals. Yeah. So we might have to to set up another play date here when that comes out. But yeah, that's just been me this past week diving head first time and again into Pac-Man Museum plus. How about you, sir?
0: <laughs> so I, um, for for me, you know, still playing Xenoblade, still kind of, you know, working my way through that, attempting uh, Hope Beyond Hope to finish that game before 3 comes out at the end of July, okay. um, streaming as much of it as I can. I didn't stream much last week. Um, I talked about, I won't get into it here, but I talked about it a little bit on the Discord, so I thank everybody for being understanding um, didn't really stream much last week. Been working on a lot of secret stuff behind the scenes that we'll talk about more next week. Um, so keeping keeping very very busy over here. Um, but yeah, for me, th- there's there's one game that I really want to talk about, and <laughs> <laughs> this this one my my pathway to, to arriving at this game was pretty circuitous. Uh because our friend Matt, community member Matt.
1: That word for future. Yeah, there you go.
0: Circuitous. Um, our friend Matt, Shy Guy City, uh, all in community member who has been on the show before. Shout outs to our buddy Matt. Um, he shouted out this game called, I think it's called Mystery of Lake Ophelia or something like that, that's coming out next week. And it's this sort of like lo-fi fishing/slash horror game. And I did some research about the game because I'm really interested in it after watching the trailer. And come to find out, the same team that's making that made these two games that are also on Switch called Paratopic, which I have been aware of for a while and have been meaning to play, and Phatom Batula. And I've seen these games on the eShop. Like, I recognize the thumbnails, you know.
1: Yeah, we uh we've scoured the eShop quite a few times for horror games when we're looking for spooky indie showcases. So it's they're games that we have crossed over and glossed over quite a few times.
0: Yeah. So come to find out, as I'm looking at, you know, kind of this developer's catalog, um, not only do they have that, they have a bundle of Paratopic and Phaetum Batula, and it's on sale for like three bucks. So I was like, I'm picking that up. Um <laughs> so I, I picked that up and I wound up streaming Phaetum Batula uh Thursday night um and had such a weird but really good time ultimately with it. Like <laughs> I jumped into your stream, you were like, What am I supposed to do with the fish in this poison? <laughs> yeah. What am I doing with this? The it is it is like one of the weirdest games I've ever played, but it's also like, it's, again, this lo-fi PS1, you know, N64. Kind of reminded
1: me of Tori and Tori 2 yes. from our friend Marcus. Yes. C
0: Who is actually, his haunted PS1 games are uh, shouted out in the credits of that game. In addition to another, I, I actually recognized a lot of people's names. Jazz Mickle is in the credits, um, the composer of Grapple Dog, and Jay Tholen from Hypnospace Outlaw is also in the credits, which makes perfect sense, um, considering the game. And yeah, it's this like kind of lo-fi horror game that kind of has these adventure game elements, but it has got, you know, it's so it's got nine endings, first of all. <laughs> and kind of the the objective of the game, like, once you get the ending, you're like, okay, cool, I gotta see what all these other endings are, because it has these like intense weirdly thought-provoking endings that require a lot of like thought processes to figure out how to unlock them um <laughs> to the point where well, y- yeah, I was, yeah I was gonna say is,
1: yeah <laughs> uh, to to put this in perspective there are technically 10 endings yeah for the game but in order to get the 10th ending, you have to be playing the PC version. And the reason for that is,
0: Seth. <laughs> you have to. You actually have to go into the files of the PC version and change the liquid item that kind of triggers the endings. Change the name of the liquid item to secret. And that's how you get the 10th ending of the game.
1: So it's stuff so like that. This is the level of obtuseness that we're talking yeah. about
0: here. Some of the I would say that probably four or five of the endings you could you could get to logically, but roughly half of the endings in the game, there is no way. No, there is like there are no breadcrumbs. There are no like there's no reasonable logic or thought you will not figure them out. And I think as, as I sort of like thought about it more and began playing the game more, I was like, this has to be intentional. The the game is going for this sort of creepy pasta internet forum thing of, I hear if you go in this place and if you walk in that direction long enough, the street will turn into this, you know, it's, it's that <laughs> level of stuff. Um, If you go to
1: this corner of the map, hop on one foot for five minutes, then go into the menu and hit up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right.
0: Literally, <laughs> if you if you enter this building and come out enough times and circle the building, this thing will appear. Like, it's literally like that. Um, <laughs> Put
1: your controller in port 2.
0: Yeah, you, you'll never figure out, like, half of these endings. But what this kind of created, it made for a great stream game because people in the chat got really invested in the endings because they're so good. And, I ha- like, Andros was there, uh, Flighty was there, and they were, like, they had guides up, and they were kind of, like, guiding me through the various endings (laughs) of the game and um i had just had a great time with it man like it was really fun it was a fun experience so i'm looking forward to playing paratopic uh now which i'm I'm gonna have to do that on stream soon and uh, of course the the new one next week can't wait but um yeah it's been that um been playing mother three some more of course, yes, um, as
1: part of your PK Love Club, right?
0: We do have the PK Love Club going on in the Discord, so that's that's been fun. People playing Mother 3 over there, been playing that a little bit more, uh, getting through Chapter 2 right now, which is currently what everybody's on in the club. So uh, still time to get in on that pretty early, if anybody wants to join in on that on our all-in Discord. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the bulk of what I've been playing this week. Um, and sort of what's been going on with me like a lot of the things I've been doing I can't talk about so we'll uh we'll we'll talk more next week yeah mums mum's the word no spoilers but uh, man there is no shortage of news this week so what do you say we get into it?
1: No it is definitely June it is definitely that e3 time of year already and we already have some bonker stuff to talk about so let's talk about it. Listen. Well, we actually got a a really good look at the new Pokemon for Scarlet and Violet, a yes. adorable little pig named... His name is LeChonk, Seth. His name is LeChonk. And they gave us an entire massive trailer just showing off this one little pig Pokemon. <laughs>
0: there, there's a little bit more in the trailer than LeChonk. I know I know LeChonk... No, that's, no,
1: no. LeChonk <laughs> is the only thing in the trailer. This adorable little pig. I've only had him for yeah. 1 week, but if anything happens to him, I will burn down the internet and everyone inside. Yeah. But no, that's Lechonk was the only thing in that trailer.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there's Lechonk was the thing that mattered most in that trailer for sure. He's a precious <laughs> boy. And um and and we we love Lechonk very much. So much so that there's now a Lechonk emote in our Discord. Um I had Seth, to
1: happen. Seth. Seth. His name is Lechonk.
0: Yeah, I do kind of hate the the reference that that is actually making. As somebody yeah. pointed out, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: it's like a Puerto Rican uh, pork dish that somebody pointed out called lechon, and um, mm. I'm like that. I hate knowing that. I, I was hoping <laughs> it would just be you know he's a he's a chunky boy, you know. <laughs> but
1: giving it a reference to food though made me think because I don't want lechon to evolve yeah. because. He's already and perfect. And I don't know if I've mentioned this yet. Yeah, his name is Lechonk already. <laughs> but I thought about it, considering that his name is a reference to a pig food dish. It would be kind of cool if he evolved into, or if it evolved into some type of pig chef who wields a adorable little knife and fork or something. I do like I think like that, that would actually be, I think I would be okay with that. I think that would cause me the least amount of psychological distress to see <laughs> LeChonk actually evolve. And of course there was other stuff in the trailer where I'm just being an idiot, but <laughs> it did bring up it did bring up one amazing, one amazing thing. Uh, obviously LeChonk is such a meme tastic name, and so is Small of. Right. Also introduced in this trailer. Small small of Garden. small olive. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it does bring to light one very interesting thing. And that is the fact that the Pokemon company, they were like, hey, look at we've got four player online co-op. Look at these legendaries. Look at all this new information we're giving you. And collectively, the Internet was like. The pig's name is Lechonk.
0: <laughs> yeah. If, if there's one truth about the internet, it is that they will take whatever is most memeable out of your information drop and they will latch onto that and nothing else.
1: And it just like if if Pokemon is intelligent, and I'm sure there are quite a few intelligent people working over there, but if the Pokemon company is smart, they will just name every single Pokemon from now on after memes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's genuinely what I think they should do. Because again, we actually got a ton of really interesting information about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet in this trailer. But even for me, even when I watched the trailer, like I didn't do a live react to it, but when I watched the trailer and they showed LeChunk and they very briefly showed that battle screen, that was actually our first look at the full battle screen UI. Yep. I couldn't help, but is like, Wait, was his name LeChonk? <laughs> yeah. And on on my first viewing of the trailer, I actually rewound it, went back to that scene, not even to look at the battle screen UI, just to say, oh my God, his name is LeChonk. Yeah. That's the greatest thing ever.
0: Yeah. But I mean, obviously there was a lot to to unpack from this trailer. Um, LeChonk notwithstanding, of course LeChonk is the highlight, but there was quite a mm-hmm. bit to, uh, to unpack here. Uh, I mean... I guess the, the kind of maybe the the most singular piece of news that we did expect coming into this, because we knew it was coming out uh, later this year, but we never had a release date until now. Uh, that release date is November 18th, um, which is right in line with what Pokemon always does. Yep. Not going to get delayed. It's coming out November 18th. If, if Arceus didn't get delayed, this ain't getting delayed, man. So I'm
1: fairly certain every generation has released in November. Yeah yeah
0: I mean, this is total Pokemon formula through and through. yeah. Um, we got the um, look at the new legendaries. Um, mm-hmm. We got the the new box art. We got more shots of like new characters, which everybody's kind of freaking out about. And we got
1: a new waifu
0: and his uh waifu and husbando in the new professors. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the really interesting thing here. And and there's like there in any other week than this week, we probably could have done a whole main segment breaking down this trailer. There's so much in it. Yeah. Um but like yeah, one of the first shots is you meet two new professors in this game, which I don't have they done that before? Have they ever done version specific professors? I don't, I think, don't so. think so. I don't
1: think so. Yeah, I don't don't think think so. So,
0: Yeah. Um, So you've got for Pokemon Scarlet, you've got Professor Sada. And then for Pokemon Violet, you have Professor Turo. And people have already kind of figured out, even just in their character design. um, And I pointed this out when I live reacted to it. It's like, oh, like, clearly they're going for sort of a past and future vibe. Professor Sada's got like a Ayla from Chrono Trigger thing going on. yeah. You know And
1: Professor Toro has the five o'clock shadow, the clear hairstyle of the future. <laughs> oh, and he's also got a very futuristic sci-fi neon punk looking outfit on as well, I suppose.
0: Yeah, he's got like this weird like exosuit thing underneath his uh his lab coat and um looking like a Tron reject. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And um uh, and and their names, as people have kind of you know come to find out, and and people have kind of picked this thing apart, um, are even references to that as well. Uh, Sada being short for Pasada, which is Spanish for past, and Toro being short for Futuro, which is Spanish for future. Um, and that theme actually sort of runs throughout the entire game, um, from what we've seen so far, to include the new legendaries whose names are also plays on past and future, and their designs. Are also very much one of them looks ancient, one of them looks futuristic.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the Scarlet Legendary genuinely looks like Lizard Man from yeah. Soul Calibur.
0: <laughs> yeah. He's got the it's weird because when you get a close-up shot of him in the trailer, um, his name is I think Kazidon. And you get a shot of his like face and it's like scales turning into feathers. Mm-hmm. like he looks like he's literally evolving from a dinosaur into a bird in front of your very eyes. Um and he's got this big like tire on his chest which is also kind of a running thing that you can kind of pick apart in the trailer. Meanwhile, the violet legendary Miraidon um is very futuristic digitized eyes jet legs like 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 turbine like jet turbine legs. <laughs> <laughs> Looking
1: like a, a baby Zaltrex or something.
0: Yeah. Like, it's it's pretty bonkers. Like, the, the disparity between the two legendaries. I don't know that we've ever had two legendaries that were so different. I mean, it really felt to me like, and, and I, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but my read on this was that for really the first time in the franchise, they're really kind of curbing the whole expectation of, you know, each version is really just a palette swap. Like they're really trying to differentiate the two different versions this time around. I feel like.
1: Well, when the Pokemon franchise first started off in the mid and late nineties, the way they did it made sense because one of the running themes then and has always been in the franchise is this theme of friendship and working together. And the two different versions was how they got people to interact with each other is because you couldn't get all the Pokemon in the separate versions. You had to trade with someone who had the other version of the game. You actually had to go and interact with another human being. And that was much easier back in the late nineties than it was today. Right. But I mean, that made sense the way they did it, but over the generations that over time has not really been good enough anymore with the the myriad of ways that we now have to to move pokemon around digitally uh, we've got pokemon home and it's a lot more accessible for people to have different versions you can transfer pokemon from pokemon go into pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl into pokemon sword and shield yeah and presumably once these games come out into scarlet and violet so, moving Pokemon around has been much easier. So, I guess with this game, they realized like <laughs> we probably got to do something a little bit more than just a version specific mons this time around. Because even Sword and Shield with the different legendaries, there really wasn't too much different outside of that. There was a couple things, but not really too much to different to truly differentiate the versions. But it already looks like. It already looks like I don't know how deep this is going to run in the narrative, but it already looks like we're
0: we're seeing some major differences between Scarlet and Violet already. That's that's the big question. How how is how deep is this going to run in the narrative? How like important is the narrative going to be in general? Because the other sort of big reveal and and I actually think this is a bit of a miss um, in terms of the trailer was they low key revealed and and low key being the operative word here to the point where on my first viewing, I literally didn't even pick up on it. Um, They low key revealed that this is going to be fully online co-op. You're going to be able to play with up to three other friends online together in an open world Pokemon adventure, but they just sort of dropped that and didn't expound on it at all in the trailer. Like we don't know how it works. We don't know what the structure is how does it feed into the story? Like, we don't know anything. Um, We got a little PR blast that said something to, akin to like, you can tackle, you know, the areas of the game in any order. The story is very free, but like, like, what does it mean, man? Like you, we need to hear yeah. this. You know? Because
1: we do have online multiplayer in Sword and Shield. You could interact right. in a couple different ways with people when you were in the wild area, when you were in the Crown Tundra, when you were in the Isle of Armor. You could interact with other people. You could go online, quote unquote, and have other people running around. You could talk to them and get curry ingredients and you could right. uh, tackle you know raid bosses, Gigantamax raid bosses together. So what is that online multiplayer, especially since it's specifically four-player online multiplayer? What's that actually going to look like in this game? We know that there is four-player online multiplayer, but what does that actually mean? Right. Because another one of the things that you want to talk about low-key, this is something that wasn't even in the trailer, really. It wound up as like in the middle of a random Twitter thread through Pokemon UK but one of the big takeaways that I had from that entire day of reveals and announcements was this massive open world that they're giving us apparently is not going to be constrained by the narrative. According to mm-hmm. them, you're going to have a large amount of freedom with how, with what direction you go and how you decide to tackle the map as a whole. It looks like we're not just going to be funneled Uh, in some linear path throughout the entire game, despite it being an open world, it looks like it's going to, according to what we've been told, it looks like they're basically going to Breath of the Wild Us, where after we get out of the tutorial section of the game, they're just going to say, there's the world. Go have fun.
0: Yeah. Just go, right? That's what it seems like. And then, you know, you're, you're going to be able to do it with your friends. And again, I think that was the biggest miss of the entire trailer is like you, you should have spent a little bit more time and and really kind of explained what that means in the context of this game. But I mean, the game doesn't come out until November 18th. We do still have time. I do expect it's going to get its own Pokemon Presents, you know, at some point down the line. We're going to see all this stuff pre-release, I'm sure. But um, if you're you can't just drop that, you know? You can't just drop that and not explain it.
1: (laughs) So, We do also have a couple more questions when it comes to the gameplay itself because after Pokemon Legends Arceus came out and it completely revolutionized, it did some really interesting things with the battle mechanics, but it completely revolutionized how we capture Pokemon in a somewhat more traditional Pokemon adventure. But it kind of appears like we're going right back to that... Core style,
0: yeah, to that
1: original style, and even though it looks like the battles are still going to take place on the world map, uh, very much like Pokemon Legends Arceus, it looks like we are kind of taking that step back to what had been the established core style already. And I don't know if it's going to be because this is something we talked about after Arceus came out when we did our review, is after we've had Arceus it's going to be hard to go back to a a more core Pokemon style, but it looks like they're going to tell us to do that with this game. And I I think if that's what their plan is, considering that they've already taken those steps forward in that gameplay, I think that's going to be... I think it's going to be a huge step back, and I think it's actually going to cause a little bit of backlash.
0: It's going to be weird. Um, I think... I think what they're kind of moving towards with with Pokemon is they're going to have Legends as like the side series that's for the a little bit more, I don't want to say adult, but for like the, the gamer that is a little bit more interested in having a little bit more depth in their Pokemon game. And then Scarlet and Violet is going to be the mass appeal. Like the typical, when you have your generational entries, that's going to be where it's like, by the numbers same as it ever was appeal to the masses blah 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 but then legends will continue to be more you know hardcore appeal that's that's what i sort of expect i think the two can coexist i i am a little bit bummed out admittedly that we're taking that step back but i i understand why they're doing it i think they're going to ultimately sell more copies of this as a result so yeah
1: but seth and i i don't think we're going to comment on uh, what people have been saying about the textures or the way the game looks because it's A, it's running on the Nintendo Switch and B, we're dealing with a thousand procedurally generated characters with different stats and different attributes for each separate one you catch. This game was never going to look like Horizon Forbidden West. It was never going to look like God of War. If, yeah. if a game is fun, ultimately... I'm down. My concerns are all gameplay related. I personally don't have any problems with the way the game looks, especially with as much time as you and I have spent on indie games. Yeah. I mean, I don't if, if that's if that's what you're most concerned about. OK, but that I that honestly plays almost a it plays almost nothing into into my uh, reaction, in my opinion, of the trailer. So
0: me either. I mean, as as long as the game is running well, as long as like, because you know, some of my and, and I really am sort of hoping too with this game. One of my big complaints with Arceus was that it, like, the, I wanted more exploration and sense of discovery in the world. Um, I think you and I sort yeah, of you disagreed. Felt, the world
1: felt empty. Yeah, I think yeah. you
0: and I sort of disagreed about that. But um, but ultimately, mm-hmm. I I did want uh, a little bit more like exploration and discovery to it. I'm hoping that Scarlet and Violet will deliver on that. But I mean, like play the entire tape in theory, you're going to have a game that has four player online co-op in a, in an open world full of Pokemon running on a tablet that you can hold in your hand. Like, did you really think that it was going to look like it was on the PS five? Like, these are the concessions that you kind of have to make. And I think the Pokemon company should be credited for the game looking as good as it does. I think the new character models look really good. I know some people are apprehensive about them. I think they look great. Um, I, I've always really liked this new kind of, they, they, they remind me of the Pokemon snap character models. Um, so I, I think it looks great. I'm I'm here for it. And
1: honestly, just the last thing that I'm going to say on this, and this is, I mean, really, the only thing that we need to know, LeChonk.
0: LeChonk. That's it. I mean, LeChonk, right? Um, yeah. I will say this. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'll I, say this one last thing about it. Um, the shots that we got of the new starters, they are starting to grow on me. I'll admit.
1: <laughs> I, I know you really weren't feeling quacksly at the beginning.
0: Yeah. I was like, you know, Sprigatito is just, is just a cat. Quaxley's just Ducklet with a wig, you know what I mean? And those things are still true. I've always been a Foy Coco boy. Yeah, you know? I've always
1: been Team Foy Coco. Yeah,
0: yeah. But but like, and I and I think I still am ultimately. But now that I've seen kind of their personalities come forward, where Quaxley comes out of the water and he does a little hair flip with the water droplets, I was like, okay, I'm kind of. It's it's going <laughs> to boil down to the final evolutions, obviously, as of always. Course but I, I am feeling the more that than I was on first brush. I'll say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Watch Quaxley come out and have the most BA looking final evolution. On yeah. The
0: right. There,
1: there was somebody Watch it actually be like a mighty duck. cartoon. Yes. Yes, style that would make me so happy. Somebody did a
0: somebody did a fan you know fan art of uh, Quaxley's design, kind of leaning into him being like a pirate or something. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. Like he, I can see that. he's like this big pirate duck. But either way, <laughs> I came away from this feeling very excited, feeling very um, optimistic about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. It, admittedly, if if you guys remember back when the reveal first happened, I came away from the reveal feeling a little bit cold. Um, but look, I I think this trailer really kind of turned the fortune for me. I, I came away from this feeling very positive.
1: I want my ancient dinosaur motorcycle.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're they're totally they're totally gonna turn into vehicles, those Pokemon. Well,
1: I mean, this was something that you mentioned, is it looks like the Pokemon Centers and the Pokemarts and just stuff like that, they're essentially gonna be treated yeah. like like convenience stores really just kind of out in the middle of the world itself, not even necessarily in the middle of towns or villages. It looks like a lot of the Pokemon centers and Pokemarch you're going to run into are just out and about. And they're treated almost as if, you know, they're just these kind of walk up ice cream stores or these really small, uh, self-contained convenience stores, but they have these, these digitized billboards, uh, that are continuing, that continually loop on the side. And you pointed out that one of them is very clearly selling tires. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really, as much as I love Sword and Shield, and I do, I really thought that what they did in Gen 7, the Alola generation with the different ride Pokemon, yeah. I really thought that was the best way to, to handle those types of abilities within the Pokemon world. Because... Because it just strengthens the whole theme of the game, you slowly get these abilities throughout the course of the game, like fast travel and you know bikes and uh, different modes of, of traversal over the terrain, like the the mudsdale was able to get you over rough terrain, and you could go up slopes and across water with surf and stuff like that. Uh, and you had Lapras and Mudsdale and Stoutland and, and all these different types of Pokemon. And then when you got Sword and Shield, you just had this you, you just had this bike, but the bike. <laughs> could get water tires. Yeah. Yeah. I can I put little just, floaties on, <laughs> but it was just so much less interesting yeah. to me than, than ride Pokemon. And when, uh, when you pointed out those, those tire ads to me at the poke, at the pokemarts, I was like, Oh, are we going to go back to bicycles again? Yeah. But, but if it's Pokemon that transfer, like if I'm going to get like actual transformer Pokemon in this, that I can buy tires for
0: I'll take 10. Thank you. (laughs) I think that's what they're going for. Uh, it looks like anyway, I mean, again, um, has got a literal tire on his chest. Um, has got jet feet, you know, it seems like they're going to be some sort of mode of transport. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens again. Um, I, I think we're going to get at least one more uh, news drop for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet as we uh, as we gear up for release on November eighteenth. But I'm hyped, man! Looking forward to it.
1: I am too, and we're actually going to be talking more about Pokemon a little later on in the episode. So definitely stay tuned. But that was not the only high profile game that we got gameplay reveals for this week,
0: Seth. That is very true. So courtesy of IGN via IGN First uh, initiative, they have been revealing throughout the week gameplay for Sonic Frontiers. We finally got to see, I think at this point, a combined 15-ish minutes of Sonic Frontiers gameplay.
1: Yeah, there were two separate trailers, one that came out earlier in the week that specifically just showed off a little bit of the world map and Mm -hmm. Sonic's traversal through it. And then the second trailer that came out was specifically just to show off how combat was going to work uh, in this new game with these new enemies, with Sonic's new moveset. And listen, there are reasons for us to be trepidatious about Sonic Frontiers. There are reasons oh, yeah. for us to not get our hopes up about Sonic Frontiers. But man, didn't it feel like everybody was just waiting at their keyboards to just dunk all over this game?
0: That's that. I feel like you and I are the only two people that are actually intrigued by it. I'm Again, I remain cautiously optimistic. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that I saw that didn't worry me. I don't think it looks incredible or whatever. But like... I, I was like, if nothing else, this is the most intrigued I've been by a Sonic game in years. If nothing else, I think this game ha- is doing some interesting things. And I think they should get credit for that. Everybody is just dunking all over it, man.
1: They were just, it really felt like they were just waiting. Yeah. Just just disregarding everything that was actually being shown. So many people it's like, well, this wasn't shown off. This trailer stinks. I'm like, that wasn't even the purpose of this trailer. <laughs> right. I was like, why are you hating on a trailer that didn't show you something that that wasn't even what the purpose of the trailer was? But if you go back to when we first had that Sonic Frontiers reveal, when we first found out it was going to be open world, I specifically, I specifically said that what they need to do is they need to fill that open world with rails, with bounce pads, with homing attack targets so that Sonic's not just running around this big empty world so that it makes traversal through this world so much more interesting. Make it a playground. I specifically said that. And that's exactly what they've done in a lot of that first trailer that specifically just showed off the traversal Sonic was, he mainly spent a lot of his time running up this, this big tower, but he did wind up spending a minute or two just zipping around the little bit of the world map that we saw him on. And he was jumping from rails to bounce pads to homing attack targets and back again. I mean, we don't know really what the core of this game is going to be like. We know that a big part of it is going to take place in this open world. But it looks like they are going out of their way to try to make the traversal through this world as interesting as possible. Sure, a lot of the animations do look a little stilted, but that is absolutely stuff that can be fixed in the last half year. I saw so yeah. many people like basically just call is like, oh, yep, this game needs to get delayed. Why?
0: I don't know that I've ever seen a high profile game have its fans actually asking for a delay. Like, I, I don't think that I've ever seen the vocal minority literally ask for a game to be delayed, which worries me because even if even if they don't feel like they do need to delay the game, Sonic Team has been very like open to the consideration of its fans and they, they have a lot riding on this game. So yeah. I almost worry that they're going to delay the game even if it doesn't need it just because they the fans are convincing them that it needs a little extra spit and polish. And look, maybe it does. I I think it looks good. Like, I I thought the traversal looked fun. Sure, the animations need more cleanup. This is a game in development, guys. Like, it's not coming out until late 2022 currently.
1: Yeah, and even in that, yes, admittedly, in that combat trailer, there were a couple things, especially when Sonic was bumping off that big cracko eyeball looking (laughs) machine. And he was, like, sticking on the side of the rock and stuff like that. Yes, the game needs to be tightened up a little bit. But overall, a lot of the stuff that they've been showing off, I think it looks genuinely intriguing. I'm not by any means giving this game the benefit of the doubt because after 3D Sonic's track record, 3D Sonic does not remotely deserve the benefit of the doubt. But if we're just looking at these trailers in a vacuum, just based on what they were meant to show us and not what people think they were meant to show us, then I, I have more positives than negatives coming out of these two trailers. I am intrigued with the direction they are trying to go. I hope that this is finally the time they're really able to marry form and function. Because as Sonic fans, we have done this dance an innumerable number of times. And I know that that's a big part of the reason why so many people just have this just hate ball Hating their in hearts, their man. Heart. Yep. But yeah, again, I'm not giving this the benefit of the doubt, but just based on what we've been shown, I kind
0: of dig it. I do too. I think it looks good. Like, guys, it's it's a video game, and and that's another thing. I I feel like a lot of people take Sonic like a little too seriously. Like for me, I see Sonic running around this like Shadow of the Colossus looking. Like, yeah. ruined world while while very, like, Kingdom Hearts reminiscent music is playing. I thought the music was excellent uh, yeah. that, that we heard People so far. People are like, that's
1: not Sonic. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's done this a dozen times
0: before. I, I'm like, t- to me, I'm like, this is more interesting to me than just seeing another version of Green Hill Zone. You know, like, I, I find this kind of weird and fun and, like, kind of... I don't know. I kind of dig that about about Sonic. I like that they're willing to do something weird and offbeat and kind of throw something at the wall with Sonic. I'm, I'm into it, man. Um, now, my big concerns are that what we saw in the gameplay was some very, it was all, you know, a lot of traversal, some light mm-hmm. puzzle solving, um, which looked very basic, like the most yeah. basic puzzles imaginable. Um, We saw Sonic pick up some collectibles in the world, Um, you know, but, but I'm a little bit concerned with like how much there's going to be to actually do in the game. Um, Like, is that what the game is? Like, you're just running around like we, all the enemies that we've seen, I don't think we've seen a single group of enemies. I think it's all been like one-on-one.
1: Well, the, the combat trailer, there were a couple grunt level enemies that Sonic fought three on one, four on one. There were a couple, you know, big enemies like the the big clump of eyes and then the big colossus yeah looking enemy that he fought there at the end of the trailer but there were a couple grunt level enemies in there and i am intrigued to see what the actual story missions are going to look like but again that that was not remotely a part of of these reveals of this gameplay footage these were not trailers right that were cut and edited these were just clips of sonic doing his thing for you know unedited for a few straight minutes just to yeah. give a feel of what we can expect while we're going through the world and very yeah. much like uh very much like the Spider-Man game from Insomniac and the massive success that's been a big a big part of the reason that game is so good is because just the simple act of traversal is enjoyable 1000% just swinging around Manhattan itself is enjoyable and it looks like they're trying to give sonic an open world where just traversing itself is going to be something that you can do uh you know a, an activity that you can engage in fun you can have it looks like it's a big playground for you to basically just zip from rails and bounce pads to you know traverse how you want yeah and i dig
0: that me too. That is that is all this game needs to nail for me. The music's there. The visuals are there. I like the weird direction they're taking the kind of like Sonic in this ruined world. I'm, I'm into all of that. The only thing, as long as that traversal feels good, like, I'm the guy who spends hours just swinging around in Spider-Man. You know what I mean? That's, that is all this game needs to nail. Um, now, my my biggest thought watching all of this is how does this run on switch? Yeah. How is this going to run on switch? Cause it looks very visually, I think pretty high fidelity overall. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but for me, I'm like, things look pretty good to me. Um, and the way Sonic is moving with such speed. I mean, that requires processing power that the switch just doesn't have. So I'm dying to see switch gameplay.
1: See, that's what I was thinking. When everybody was going out of their way to dunk on this game over animations and keyframes and stuff like that, my first thought was, are these the concessions that we're having to make in order to have the game on the Switch? That was my first thought, was, like, we've had to make some concessions. There were some notable concessions we had to make in terms of the visual fidelity of uh, Life is Strange True Colors. Right. But the game still wound up looking really good yes we lost a lot of visual fidelity and there were some weird glitches but ultimately the gameplay experience was still there it was our number four game of the year last year so you know a lot of this stuff doesn't matter as much as people make it out to as long as the game plays well that's Mm -hmm. been the big issue with 3d sonic for so long I'm willing to sacrifice a couple stilted animations and keyframes if the game finally nails that feel, and I hope that's what it is,
0: yep, I agree. I just need it to feel good i'm i I'm on board with everything else at best and and at worst, I'm willing to forgive everything else as long as it <laughs> just feels good. That's all I need, <laughs> yeah,
1: but uh, you think Shinji Hashimoto's feeling pretty good? <laughs>
0: Well, yeah. So I, I I would hope so. He retired this past week. Uh, for those who don't yeah. know who Shinji Hashimoto is, uh, he is kind of a legend um, when it comes to Square Enix, former brand manager of the Final Fantasy franchise and the co-creator of the Kingdom Hearts franchise. And yeah, he retired this week. Good for him, man.
1: Beautiful uh, video message sent out to all the fans that was shared by basically all of Square Enix's social media. And there were a ton of people within Square Enix that created their own tributes like pixel art and pictures and fan art and stuff like that. And he was retweeting that all week. And it was really beautiful. A lot of really, really touching tributes out to Hashimoto-san this past week. You have earned your retirement a few times over. As far as I'm concerned, sir, thank you for everything you've done for the industry.
0: Yes, absolutely. Got to tip our cat, uh, cap to him. And, uh, in addition to that and another shake up with a, a video game, you know, developer legend, um, Junichi Masuda, who, uh, co-founded Game Freak. He's one of the co-founders, director of many of the Pokemon games, composer of almost all of the Pokemon games until very recently, um, left, Game Freak, the company that he co-founded like 33 years ago, uh, left Game Freak to accept a new position as Chief Creative Fellow at the Pokemon Company. Um, which Chief Creative Fellow is the same title that Miyamoto now has at Nintendo. So, <laughs>
1: but, but I know a lot of people out there are just thinking, it's like, wait, he left Game Freak to work at the." Pokemon Company. I'm sure the Spider Man meme is like, but
0: yeah, what, what Spider Man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: But no, it is a little different. It's a little different.
0: It's a little different. And the Pokemon Company now operates within Nintendo's headquarters as well. So I think this is really good for him cuz now he can sort of act on again this is the same role that Miyamoto has at Nintendo and what's Miyamoto doing now he's working on things like the movies and the theme parks and stuff having lunch with Chris Pratt and yeah he's he's meeting up with Chris Pratt and he's you know <laughs> t- he's t- touring Super Nintendo World and saying I'm Mario and Luigi's dad you know so well,
1: hopefully he's uh, facilitating the opening of uh, Super Nintendo World in Universal Studios Uh, Hollywood. Yeah. Early next year.
0: Now early so. next year, that was the that was the big news about that. It's gone from a vague 2023 to now early 2023. So that'll be cool. All I know, I'm I'm waiting on the Orlando news because when that yeah. happens, we've got to do an all end meet up at the Orlando Super Nintendo World. Yes, for sure. I,
1: I do hope they have a Mario Kart ride there, again to the one they showed off at Universal Studios Hollywood. Yeah, I just I just want to be able to throw a red shell. That's all I want.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mario Kart will for sure be there. That's the premiere ride. In uh, Super Nintendo World Japan, but in Japan they've also got the uh, Yoshi's Adventure ride, which is not going to be at Hollywood. So, and that that's sort of part Do and parcel. We not
1: get what Yoshi is, or
0: yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what the deal is there. But I I guess what it what it really boils down to is just space. Um, Universal Hollywood is quite a bit smaller than the the Florida or the Japanese components. So um, it's really common for Universal Hollywood, like their Harry Potter Land, is smaller. You know so so it's pretty much in line with with what they normally do um still we will be uh, a, an American Super Nintendo world will be opening um, pretty soon so that's cool and uh you know I, again just waiting on that Orlando uh, that that Orlando announcement so I can book my ticket and uh, go <laughs> go for an all- end meetup and spend way too much money
1: <laughs> yes, yes, you and I are definitely gonna have to work we're, we're probably gonna have to set aside a uh, few funds from hmm maybe I shouldn't say something shh, hmm. shh,
0: mm-hmm. don't say anything don't say anything mm-hmm. but uh we you know you you could almost uh you could almost say that could be a countdown to marketing maybe Maybe maybe. maybe, maybe, we can make that leap to uh, to our next news story. Uh, however, however, we can leap because I, I want to talk about
1: this so much because of course, yes, it's June. We got the state of play from PlayStation a couple days mm-hmm. ago, which actually some really cool stuff coming it's out cool. of that. Uh, I Street Fighter Six actually looks pretty sick. Yeah, it RE, does RE4 we we knew was coming. Yeah, RE4 we knew was. But there was some interesting stuff that came out of the state of play. But it's very much feeling like that June, that E3 time of year. Uh, Not only did we get the state of play, but we got word of another another presentation that we're going to be getting next week. We've already got a few to look forward to next week, like LRG3. But we can also very much look forward to Devolver Digitals what is it countdown to marketing
0: devolver digital marketing (laughs) countdown to marketing is what it's called.
1: Yeah. So so. (laughs) if you are 18, I highly (laughs) recommend checking out the trailer because for, for anybody who has somehow remained unblissfully unaware of devolver digital's history of E3 presentations over the years, They are just the presentation itself, not even the trailers, not even the actual news headlines that have come out of those presentations. Just the presentations themselves have been worth watching. Last year, they did a hilarious spoof on uh, subscription services and... They, they absolutely murdered the entire concept of NFTs last year in one of the most glorious E3 moments of the last few years. And just, I don't, I, am, I can't wait to watch, even if they said there was going to be no Nintendo news <laughs> whatsoever at this Devolver Digital presentation, I would still watch it. And yeah. I'm sure there will be because we do typically get some fairly significant Nintendo headlines out of these. We've already got confirmation that cult of the lamb is going to be dropping some new information. And of course we already have confirmation that's coming to the Nintendo switch. And we got confirmation of the host, which in and of itself is chef's kiss. Amazing.
0: Dude, that made me so happy at at the, (laughs) at the end of the trailer, the reveal, I don't want to spoil the details of the trailer itself. Cause again, mm-hmm. if you're of age, you should watch it. Um, <laughs> but the reveal of Suda 51, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, being a part of the Devolver digital marketing countdown to marketing makes me so happy. Um, that's that. just,
1: that's the perfect marriage.
0: It really is. Suda has a longstanding relationship with Devolver. Um, he's been working with them in some capacity, probably in secret on something for a while, almost certainly going to be revealing a game partnership with them there. Um, I've got a lot of little things that I think it it might possibly be, but ultimately I'm just coming in totally blind and, and, you know, willing to be, I'll follow Suda to the ends of the earth. Y'all know this. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of his games. Um, so I'm very happy to see that he's going to be there. I mean, in the No More Heroes franchise alone, there's about like 30 plus Devolver Digital shirts that Travis can wear. So this makes perfect sense. Um, if you're keeping score, so this Devolver Digital showcase is June 9th at 3 p.m. Pacific. So on June 9th, we're going to have the Summer Games Fest kickoff with Jeff Keeley. We're going to have uh, after that, Day of the, Day Devs. Of the Devs. And now yep. we've got this. So uh, there's going to be news happening. Basically, I'm going to be on stream live reacting basically all day on June 9th.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're, we're definitely not getting anything Nintendo related at the Summer Game Fest kickoff show, but we should be getting quite a few nice little nuggets out of Day of the Devs and out of Devolver Digital's presentation.
0: Yes. Yes. And actually, um, a presentation that we already know that we aren't getting is from Ubisoft. They did confirm this past week that they are not doing any sort of not E3 presentation. So,
1: yes. Uh, and that's actually, it seems to be kind of the tip of the iceberg for a rough month for, ubisoft anyway because another nugget of information we got about the company is that the prince of persia remaster has been delayed yet again actually being delisted from being pre-ordered on different digital storefronts yeah uh, apparently according to ign apparently not canceled just delayed yet again again uh, I mean, that's, that's it's it's got. I mean, even though it's not officially canceled, that game's practically uh, practically on life support at this point. I just, I, oh man, I know it didn't look good when it first came out, but that is a th- that's a lot of trouble for just a simple remaster.
0: Well, I, I think they're trying to do it more of like a full remake. I think that's kind of the problem. Is they're they're trying to bring it kind of to the future and give it almost like a Final Fantasy VII remake kind of treatment. Do, do a different pass on Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. I don't think they're just up it. I think that's the problem. Um, so if you're keeping track, like, it was revealed in 2020, then it was delayed to March of 2021 when people were like, oh, like we don't like the visual style. They're like, okay, we're going to delay it, you know. And then it got an indefinite delay afterwards, and now it has been delayed even further, because it <laughs> sounds like they're actually completely shifting to a different development studio. Um, Now it's Ubisoft Montreal, which is Ubisoft's biggest studio. Um, I've actually got the statement that Ubisoft made to IGN here. They said, quote, the development of Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time remake will now be led by Ubisoft Montreal. We are proud of the work achieved by Ubisoft Pune and Ubisoft Mumbai and Ubisoft Montreal will benefit from their learnings as the new team will continue the work to deliver a great remake. As a consequence, we are no longer targeting a fiscal year 23 release anymore. That's a weird uh, double negative there in the in the statement. And the game has been delisted. If players wish to cancel their pre-order, they're invited to contact their retailer. They will be updated on the project as the development is moving along. Actually, end quote, actually encouraging uh, customers to cancel their pre-orders. Not a good look.
1: No, it's not. And the fact that they've come out and said, it's like, listen, we, we're we not even doing a presentation. We don't have enough to show off. We, we don't have the resources at this point in time to put one on. So I I hope things, because I really like Ubisoft. I do too. I really do. So I hope things aren't too bad over there, especially since they have a project over there that I'm incredibly invested in performing well.
0: Yeah, well, we will we'll have more to say on that later as we get into our uh, our E3 predictions later in the episode. But uh, why don't we shout out some notable releases here at the end of the news roundup as we are want to do.
1: As we are want to do, indeed, there are a couple interesting games that came out this past week. I know that one of them we were just talking about, Devolver Digital. Yeah, we finally got Card Shark on the Nintendo Switch. Yes, very cool. So I. I played the demo, you played the demo. We were both fairly positive on it. I uh, haven't played the full version yet, but like I said, after I played the demo, if it goes on sale, I might pick it up. It didn't wow me to the point where it jumped to the top of my queue, right. but it looked like a fairly interesting. If you're into card games, then it certainly could be something to, to check out. And I will say that, what was it? Special Reserve Games? Yes. Special Reserve Games is going to be doing, I believe a 4,000... 000- print run of Mm -hmm. card shark so if you're into physicals like we are uh and that's uh, on your radar do check out the upcoming physical version from special reserve games
0: yeah i want to play it it's it's definitely on my radar and uh, and i want to play it i'll I'll get to it one day (laughs) (laughs) so many games so many games uh, in addition to that, we have the release of Silt, which was showcased at the uh, the latest Indie World. Um, yep. So Silt is finally out. I know there have been some people in the community who have been playing that and enjoying it. Um, Good. So, looks like yeah. an underwater limbo. Yeah. Yeah. It looks It'd interesting. A game
1: that I think you and I would be interested in for a potential spooky month Indie Showcase if the game performs well and if it's worthy mm-hmm. of our vaunted Indie Showcase title.
0: That's right, that's right. So I'll definitely be uh, be looking into that. I'll have that wish listed, and the second that goes on a sale or something, I'll I'll snatch that up, and we'll we'll review it for an indie showcase. Perhaps we'll we'll take a look at it for a spooky yeah. month. We're always on the lookout for great horror games for spooky month. Um, yeah. So, and but, then when, uh, I know you've been looking forward to this Wonder Boy collection.
1: I have. Speaking of physical versions of games, I didn't realize this was actually getting a physical. You thankfully. Thank you, Seth. Mm -hmm. Turn me on to a company. I honestly don't even remember. Maybe it was special reserve, but it was
0: merge games or something like that.
1: Actually. Yeah, Yeah. I think that, I think that's right. But there was a company also doing a limited print run of this wonder boy collection that just came out this past week. If you've ever been a fan of the, (laughs) the master system, the Genesis, uh, if you like Metroidvanias, the wonder boy, franchise is a very, very underrated Wonder Boy slash Monster Boy franchise has always been a very underrated Metroidvania franchise, in my opinion. We've already got a couple on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, we've got Wonder Boy the Dragon's Trap, which they remastered beautifully. Yes. We got Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom, which is great. But we actually got this Monster Boy uh, collection or this Wonder Boy collection here this past week so if you're into if you're especially if you're a fan of like shantae that's probably the closest yeah. correlation the closest thing i can really compare it to so if you're into games like that i do recommend giving it a look-see on the nintendo switchy shop
0: yeah definitely and uh, the last one we'll shout out here is this game soldiers uh, which I I almost regret. Somebody had asked about it in the Discord, and I'm like, why? Why'd you have to put this game on my radar? Because it looks really good. Um, it looks like a sort of like Metroidvania, but it has like some uh, like Sega Saturn looking visuals. Um, really like it, it seems like really challenging combat. It it looks excellent.
1: Maybe it'll be on that new Mega Drive that Sega revealed if it ever comes. <laughs> to the U S <laughs>
0: yeah, it's uh, it, it looks really cool. I, I want to play it. it. It's just one of those things. I'm like, why, why'd you have to put it on my radar? This, <laughs> this looks really good. And now I want it and I don't have time to play it, but man, it looks good. So if you, if you have the time to play something like that, that sounds like it might be up your alley, a sort of retro Sega Saturn inspired Metroidvania combat platformer. Look up soldiers. That's soul. Like the soul, like S O U L soldiers. Um, you know, I, I've got a soul, but I'm not a soldier that kind of, that kind of soldier. So <laughs> <laughs> looks cool, man.
1: It does. It does look really cool. Uh, if you check it out, let us know if you, if you play any of this week's recent releases, let us know if you have any thoughts about any of the goings on and the world of the big end. Let us know. You can reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast on Twitter, at all in podcast come over join the community over on discord join our friend presto the magnificent (laughs) thank you once again for that glowing review we'll pay you a little bit later We promise
0: (laughs) checks on the mail (laughs) (laughs) exactly
1: checks in the mail uh but in addition to that you can follow us on youtube.com slash all in podcast again if you're watching us live thank you again yes uh Make sure to follow us on Twitch.tv/slash All In Podcast, where we plan on making these uh, live news segments a a new norm yeah. for us. So definitely check that out. But if you're watching this live and you've never heard of us before, we also have a podcast. That's right. Which will be coming out every Saturday. We're on episode 104, 105, 104. Now yeah, 104. Yes. Yeah, 104, coming up on two years. That's right. Mm. Next week, two years. Absolutely. Oh, so you can definitely follow us, like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, everywhere you get your podcasts from. And if, I mean, Presto the Magnificent seems like a trendsetter. He seems like a guy that you would want to follow in
0: the footsteps of. So if you want to follow his lead, I guess you could. Drop some words on iTunes, on Podchaser, and on Audible. You can leave a written review, just like Presto the Magnificent did, and get shouted out at the beginning of the episode. And uh, on Spotify, you can leave us a five-star rating. And either way you do it, we super appreciate the support. Helps us climb those rankings and take over the Nintendo podcasting space. (laughs) Yes,
1: we're going to be the king of Nintendo Podcast, That's right. just like Woot Woozle proclaimed us to be <laughs> last week. Right. But uh thank you to Woot Woozle again. Thank you to Presto. Thank you for every thank you to everybody watching live. Thank you to all of you who hang out with us and consume our content every week and make us part of your weekly rotation. Namaste.
0: Namaste, indeed, Eric. And you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Pokemon today for obvious reasons. And of course <laughs> you, we've... you mean LeChonk and friends? <laughs> I was gonna say, I mean, and of course, LeChonk is still at the forefront of everybody's mind. And speaking of LeChonk should be as he should be. And speaking of Lechonk, he is obviously very clearly based on a real-world animal, and a you know a top five that we have been wanting to do for a long time is covering the. Animals that still haven't been represented in Pokemon. There are obviously a lot of really obvious corollaries, LeChonk included. But there are many, many more that have not made their way. After now nine generations of Pokemon, after 25 years of this franchise, many IRL animals that have not yet had pocket monster counterparts. And we're going to count down our picks this week in the top five. Eric, the top five IRL animals that are not yet Pokemon, what are the rules?
1: Well, for this, we are talking about only real world animals, of course. We are only talking about animals that have existed IRL. They don't necessarily need to be existing currently, but these are all members of the animal kingdom that have at least at one point walked around on planet earth. We're not talking about plants. We're not talking about ice cream cones. We are simply talking about members of the animal kingdom in this top five, because of course the pocket monsters have taken so much of their inspiration from, you know, real world animals ever since generation one. Right. But there are still, even after 25 years plus, and even coming up on generation nine of these games with with the release of Pokemon Legends Arceus with over 900 different pocket monsters, there are still some really interesting and weird omissions from the lineage of Pokemon based on real animals. And there's a gold mine of IRL animals left to choose from in that regard.
0: Yes. And so to kick off my list with number five, um, this is one that is just sort of cute and would just make me happy. I, th- this is not an overthought entry, but my number five is a pug. I just, just, a pu- I love pugs. I love pug dogs. That, that, that's maybe my favorite breed of dog. If I didn't live in Louisiana where it's hot and humid, pugs obviously have a lot of respiratory issues. Um, and it's frankly just not humane to own a pug where I live. Um, but if that were not an issue, if I lived anywhere else, I would own a pug, I promise you. Um I love them. They're just these adorable kind of so ugly they somehow are cute little loaves of bread. They're just these little <laughs> these little adorable ugly loaves of bread and I love them so much. Now, you could sort of argue that Snubble is sort of pug-ish, but kind of yeah, kind of but... more of a more of a bulldog though, especially yeah. once you get into Snubble's evolution. Of course, yeah. Granbull is, yeah, definitely yeah. a bulldog. I mean, it's in the name. Exactly. And obviously, we've had other dogs represented in Pokemon from Corgi Houndoor and Corgi, Yamper, of course. Now we've got Pawmee, you know, and Scarlet and Violet. We've had Lillipup, and you can make an argument for Growlithe and Arcanine and Furfrow and, you know, plenty of dogs. So I would love to see a pug represented in in the realm of Pokemon. I think it'd be great in terms of like typing. I mean, these, these Pokemon are typically like normal type. Um, in, in most respects, these are typically kind of like your, your first encounter, one of your first Pokemon, maybe a pug could be like, maybe you could do something really weird and wacky with it and give it like a psychic typing or something like that. (laughs) <laughs> that would sure, be, that'd be kind of fun. Why not? You can have it's kind French of an Stone interesting Facebook
1: take. It's face Facebook lies. It's terrifying psychic powers. <laughs> yeah.
0: You could do something kind of goofy with it like that or make it maybe even a nice type could be kind of interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, I, again, not overthought. I just want a pug. I just want a pug Pokemon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, a lot of the Pokemon that are going to occupy and flesh up my list are going to be Really interesting, really unique IRL animals, a lot of which are practically Pokemon in the way they behave anyway. And my number five is definitely no exception to that. I will say, if you suffer from arachnophobia, turn away from my number five, because my number five is the trapdoor spider.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great one.
1: So we do have a couple spiders already in the Pokemon world, of course, Spinarak and Ariados from Generation 2. A lot of people were wondering why spider didn't make it into Gen 1, but we got Spinarak and Ariados in Gen 2. We've got a Rockwinid, but the Trapdoor Spider is just such a unique creature. For those who don't know, Trapdoor Spider, just like it says on the tin, a trapdoor spider burrows into the ground, creates like this little plug up top, and spends their entire life living basically just in this hole and just leaping out of its little plug, uh, of its little hidey hole, just to catch prey walking by. But just just that simple, like that little hidey, it's basically like a, a spider diglet, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, it would be a ground, it would be a bug ground type. There's only two of those, I believe, in Pokemon history Ninkata, which evolves into Ninjask, uh, fly, uh, bug flying. And then there's, it's it's too weird to get into here, but you can also get a Nin, uh, Nin, uh, Shedinja from yeah. Ninkata, the bug ghost. So, it doesn't actually evolve into a bug ground. Uh, Wormidon, I think, is the only other bug ground in Pokemon history, but. This trapdoor spider would definitely be a, a bug ground type. If you wanted to evolve it from another little cute baby spider like Spinarak, you could do that. But I just think it'd be really cool, almost like Diglett again, to see a Pokemon pop out and just to see you'd have to really design it because the the concept is admittedly kind of scary. Just having like these, these spider legs popping up out of the ground. You just see the plug, you just see the (laughs) the hole, you know, just kind of slowly undulating up and down and these little spider legs coming out of it. And like the full Pokemon would only come out for like its big signature attack or something. It could specialize in attacks like dig. Yeah. So there's a lot you could do, and I just think it'd be a really, really cool addition to the Pokemon landscape.
0: Yeah, I love that. that that'd certainly be a, a creepy one. You could you could definitely play with that. Well, mm-hmm. um, going into my number four, this is one that you you living on the coast on the East Coast might appreciate this because obviously. <laughs> You know, there, there's a lot of, like, great fish-based Pokemon, um, and there are a lot of, you know, I mean, just the, the concept of, like, underwater is super interesting in general. It's, you know, we, we know, famously, the, the whole line everybody likes to say is, like, we know less about the depths of the ocean than we do, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, that, that's, that's kind of a dumb prospect to me, but it is still interesting to consider how much unexplored ocean there is even in the Pokemon universe. And I definitely wanted to have some sort of fish representation on my list. So my number four is the concept of a Marlin slash swordfish Pokemon. Um, Okay. Which I think could be really interesting. And I'm really, this is another one that I'm like, how have you guys not done this? I mean, we've had sharks, (laughs) you know, we've had jellyfish, but we haven't had a swordfish, which, which seems super obvious. It literally is named after a weapon. And one thing I was doing some research about swordfish and, and Marlins. And one thing that kind of struck me, this could actually make a really compelling, I think an obvious um, choice would be making this like either some sort of steel type or maybe a fighting type or something, but Marlin actually communicate via brainwaves like Aquaman style. And so it would be, that one would be an interesting psychic type, like a water psychic, um, kind of, uh, kind of not your typical expectation, kind of subverting your expectation of what you would think of with this kind of Pokemon. Um, so it would be really interesting. I I could really kind of see it. Of course it would have, you know, kind of moves that are based around its sword nose or whatever, spear nose, um, but it would be cool to incorporate some sort of psychic abilities with it as well. And I could already see the weird Pokedex entries about using its, you know, mental abilities. So, um, yeah, that kind of just captured my imagination with the Marlin.
1: <laughs> All of Seth's Pokemon are going to be psychic types. Typical gen one-er.
0: That, that is true. That look, I can't front. I love psychic types. I love ghost types. I, you know, I love poison types. I, I can't front. That, that is just <laughs> true. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, for my number four, I am going with
1: it's not going to be a poison type necessarily, but we are going into the realm of bats. And I know when I say bat to a Pokemon fan, you immediately start having, you know, terrifying flashbacks of zoo bats back in Mount Moon every step and, every yeah, other step <laughs> every other step it's another level 8 zubat <laughs> casting i say casting using supersonic and leech <laughs> yeah. life and everything but there are a couple bat type pokemon obviously we've got noibat and noivern and woobat and and zubat and all these different types of bats you could even technically argue that lunala is a bat pokemon oh definitely yeah but The actual biggest bat in the world, in the IRL world, doesn't really have a Pokemon based off of it, which is mind-blowing because of all the bats out there, I think it's the one that deserves one the most. I'm talking about the flying fox.
0: Mm, that, That, I could, yeah, that's a very visually interesting animal already
1: yes so for those who don't know what a flying fox is it's basically right there in the name these are not normal bats these are like they're actually like the length of your arm the wingspan on these things is genuinely like six feet these things are absolutely massive but they're fruit bats they're completely harmless they love fruits and veggies and Unlike, you know, you think of a bat, you think of a scrunched up nose, you think of sharp ears, you think of echolocation. The flying foxes have none of that. They very much, that's why they're called flying foxes, is they very much look like a flying canine. They get their way around by sight and smell. They don't use echolocation and they don't look like what a lot of people think of when it comes to bats.
0: They're kind of adorable, honestly.
1: They are absolutely <laughs> adorable, which is one of the reasons they would fit so well. You could juxtapose these massive bat wings with that adorable little snout that you just want to boop. <laughs> They're so cool. And of all the Pokemon that I would talk about, uh, that I'm going to talk about in this top five, I would say maybe this one would be the one that you wouldn't need to worry about really evolution uh, whether or not this was going to evolve into something or evolve from something. I would say if you did a flying fox Pokemon here in Gen 9, you could just leave it as is. You wouldn't need to worry about evolution with it. But if you wanted to create like a little baby bat or something for it to evolve into, go nuts. But I would say this could be, you know, I'm trying to think of another one, but they've added evolutions to almost every Pokemon at this point over the generations. So I'm trying to think of a Pokemon that doesn't have any.
0: Yeah, I kind of like the Pokemon that are just like, they are what they are, kind of that Aerodactyl sort of thing. you know, yeah, like,
1: rig, stuff like that. Yeah. So I would think the Flying Fox Pokemon would be just like that. Obviously, it would be a Flying type, but I don't know. Bats kind of lend themselves to Dark, but I don't want to make the Flying Fox, the adorable Flying Fox, a Dark type. I don't want to make him Poison type. Uh, let's go with Flying and... For the flying fox, how about, you know what? How about we just go pure flying? Because there's not enough pure flying types That's out true. There. there. I think there's only like one or two. They only, like, they've always done normal slash flying. They only did, I think, uh, in Gen 8 with like Corvusquire and like Rookity. Mm-hmm. So we could use a couple more pure flying types. And I think the flying fox would be perfect for that.
0: Yeah, it's in the name. It flies. <laughs> i love it well uh going into my number three and i already know the second i say this there are going to be some people who scratch their heads a little bit my number three is a kangaroo okay but and- seth
1: <laughs> haven't you played gin one as i slide my glasses far up my nose
0: <laughs> right what about Khan? Kangaskhan, I, I thought about this, and I know that Kanga is in the name and everything, but Kangaskhan is not a, a kangaroo Pokemon at all. Like, But he carries yes, his baby in his pouch, Seth. Right. Yes, it's a marsupial. Yes, it has the pouch that it carries its young in and everything, but I mean, when you think about the, I mean, that's really the only similarities it shares with an actual kangaroo. The fact that we haven't had a kangaroo Pokemon that can, like, get up on its tail. Like, the kangaroo is such an interesting animal. You, you could literally just do, like, a one-to-one over to, to, as a Pokemon. Like, the things that a kangaroo can do, getting back on its tail, its incredible leg strength, constantly jumping. Like, it's it's a fascinating animal. I know you could also kind of argue that Mewtwo sort of is kangaroo-ish looking. But I could see that, ha- but no. But but no, we haven't had an actual kangaroo Pokemon, and if you just Google kangaroo Pokemon, um, which obviously I did, trying to make sure that this <laughs> hadn't been done already, um, the amount of fan art for people who have drawn up amazing concepts for kangaroo Pokemon is is incredible, and like the possibilities really are endless. You could have, I mean, the obvious is to have like a fighting type kangaroo Pokemon, right? But there are some course, great yeah. concepts for fire type. You know, kangaroo Pokemon, and even like rock type and you know, water type, even kangaroo Pokemon. Um, there's some really, it just feels like a lot of untapped potential. There's even this concept that I really enjoyed that was like this sort of kangaroo that looked like it was wrapped in like mummy like cloth, like it had sort of like mummy wraps over it, and so it would be kind of like a fighting ghost, which would be sort of interesting. Um, I don't know like just the, the kangaroo as a as an animal is so fascinating that it blows my mind that we haven't seen anything that really taps into that i know that we have like hitmonchan and hitmonlee sort of incorporating that we even have like um like sock um in the newer gens and mm-hmm. stuff like there there are these kind of fighting type pokemon but none of them tap into the same vibe that a kangaroo does. Um, so I, I would just really love to go like
1: Bishits with it. Just have it up on its tail the whole time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just, just have it on its tail the whole time. It attacks with its legs or, or whatever. I mean, like it could be really interesting. I just, I love visually. I love a kangaroo. Um, I just, (laughs) I, I love the way it looks. It's a fascinating, fascinating animal.
1: Well, going into my number three, personally, one of the things that I love about each generation of Pokemon is seeing what new fossil Pokemon we're going to get. Mm. What new dinosaur Pokemon we're going to be able to resurrect from the fossils. And we've had some really, really cool ones over the years. Those are some of my favorites going back to Gen 1 with like Aerodactyl and Tyrantrum is fantastic. Oh, yeah. and there's been some really strong contenders Over the years, and there's actually a lot of really notable dinosaurs that haven't been truly represented in Pokemon form yet. I think a lot of people may immediately go to something like a Velociraptor because you could really argue that that hasn't been truly represented in Pokemon form, something like a Triceratops because. I don't know, Blastodon doesn't really strike me as Triceratops vibes. Stegosaurus, I think, would be a really good one. But I had a really good idea specifically for my number three, Dilophosaurus.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: So for those who don't know, Dilophosaurus was was made very famous in the movie Jurassic Park. It is a frilled-necked dinosaur that spit poison. Yeah, and here's my pitch for a Dilophosaurus Pokemon. We actually already have a frilled-necked lizard Pokemon. It's called Heliolisk. It's a normal electric type. It evolves from Helioptile. So here's my thing. Over the past several games, over the past couple gens of Pokemon, one of the big emerging themes has been this idea of regional. Variants. We had a yeah. Lowland type Pokemon, uh, a Lowland variant Pokemon. We've had Hisuian Pokemon. We've had Galarian Pokemon. We're probably going to get a couple regional variants for this new region as well. And here's what I propose: I propose you make the Helioptile and the HelioLisk ancient, like the new. Versions of those Pokemon are descended from their ancient versions. So you have this regional variant of the Helioptile and the Heliolisk that you resurrect from a fossil and you give it an additional evolution. And that frilled neck lizard Pokemon evolves into a full on Dilophosaurus type Pokemon. And obviously, because it's a fossil, you can make them rock types. But once it evolves into the Dilophosaurus type Pokemon, because of the poison that it spits, it obviously has to become a rock poison type. So I think that's a really interesting potential uh, typing that you could give to something. So that is my pitch for Dilophosaurus. Give us a Helioptile, Heliolisk regional variant for this new region resurrected from a fossil and give it an extra evolution into an even more impressive, more dangerous version of that frilled necked lizard, the iconic Dilophosaurus.
0: I I love that. It's so funny that you say that because we, we were sort of, I mean, great minds think alike. I swear we did not plan this. We didn't talk about this ahead of time, Mm -hmm. but my number with my number two, I had a very similar thought. So Buckle up and and stick with me on this journey. My my number two is the dung beetle. Mm. And I had the same thought of the sort of ability to switch typing because there have been of course, plenty of bug poison Pokemon, which people would sort of assume a dung beetle would default to bug uh, to uh, to bug poison. And this is Pokemon. so like we're not gonna have a Pokemon canonically rolling and you know rolling up and attacking you with poo. like that's <laughs> that's just not gonna happen in a kid's game. Um, however, I think it would be really interesting to have a dung beetle Pokemon that still rolls up, but it's a rock. so, It has bug rock typing to begin with, and there have been a couple of bug rock Pokemon like Dwebble and Crustle, but even that alone is not a very common typing. But yeah, I had the idea of what if it could take its rock and turn it into poison and change its typing to go along with it, because it's so attached to the rock that it's constantly rolling around. And that sort of plays into the poo Origins, the the <laughs> the fact that it would suddenly turn into uh, rock poison in that moment, um, I think would be really interesting. So it's it's so funny that you brought that up because because I, I had a very similar thought with my dung beetle Pokemon, um, and obviously like I just I love the visual of a dung beetle. Like I find them so fascinating and. I, I just love the visual of this beetle that's just rolling this thing around constantly and making it bigger and bigger. I mean, Rollout was basically designed for this Pokemon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the move Rollout. So um, I, I just, I think it would be really fascinating to, to look at. I think that you could have a lot of fun with its design. It would be cool to have it, this rock that it could then turn into like a poison rock and change its typing in mid battle. Like that would be sick. Um, so yeah, shout out to the Dung Beetle.
1: I don't know. Maybe you could give it like a big forked, like Heracross style horn. That way it could get under the ball and launch it like a trebuchet or something.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: I'd be down for that. I can see that. Well, going into my number two, you know, I, I almost feel dirty proposing two, yes, two separate pure water type Pokemon, just because there are just, So many water types already. Genuinely, I looked this up with the release of Pokemon Legends Arceus. There are now right at 900 Pokemon in the Pokedex. One in six of them, 159, one in six is a water type. Wow. That is by far the most of any type. That's 30 more than normal. That's more, that's even more than that in flying. As a matter of fact, that's more than double several other types. There are a ton of water types, which does ultimately make sense because oceans cover 70% of this world. It makes sense that there would be a lot of animals that you would take uh, inspiration from and reference from that live out there in the ocean that you practically have to give at least a half water typing to. But even with 159 separate water type Pokemon, it astounds me. It absolutely astounds me going along with your idea for a Marlin or a Swordfish. It blows my mind that there has not been a Dolphin Pokemon in 25 plus years of this series. Absolutely blows my mind. When Digimon entered the ring in the late 90s, one of the first Digimon they came up with was Dolphinmon. I used to have the card back in the day. (laughs) They almost immediately said, oh, a dolphin's got to be a Digimon. But Pokemon to this day has not made a true dolphin Pokemon. And it blows my mind. And the reason it's at my number two is because there also hasn't been a true orca pokemon mm. now i have seen a few people you know say that they think kyogre is kind okay. of the orca representation maybe but, kinda yeah but not really well here's the thing google blue sea dragon and once the first time i saw the blue sea dragon my first thought was oh that's where kyogre got his design from
0: yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, you're right. If you still tell me you think the
1: basis, the bigger basis for Kyogre's design was an orca after Googling blue sea dragon, I might have to tell you to do something with your pants because they're probably on fire.
0: <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. Th- I mean, this this literally just looks like Kyogre. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're spot on.
1: So we need a true orca Pokemon. We need a true dolphin Pokemon. Those would perfectly fit into an evolutionary chain together. Yeah. You could absolutely see a dolphin Pokemon evolving into an Orca Pokemon. And again, as loath as I am, after we have 159 other water representatives, as loath as I am to propose two pure water types, it it makes too much sense, and it's insane that we haven't had it already. I mean, we've got 159, a full generation's worth of Pokemon that are just water types, and there's not a dolphin or an orca representative uh, among all of those. And those, again, would fit perfectly into an evolutionary line together. I would absolutely love to see that. And frankly, it should have happened generations ago.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe now that we're coming into gen nine and we have that very Mediterranean sort of influence, maybe, maybe we'll see something like that. I, that that'd be great to see, but, um, that'd be cool to finally write that wrong and get a mm-hmm. dolphin in there. But, mm-hmm. um, before we reveal our respective number ones, do we have some honorable mentions?
1: <laughs> I've got a couple.
0: Me too. I've got, yeah.
1: I did think about the thorny devil lizard. Mm. Uh, which shoots blood out of its eye sockets which is amazing but <laughs> i mean honestly there's so many there's just so many really thorny devil as- adjacent pokemon like even something like rhyhorn the nidorans you could really i mean you could really see the influence there when it comes to those pokemon so i didn't go with the thorny devil and also i, I do think it's kind of weird considering how unique how famously unique an animal it is that we don't have a true platypus Pokemon. Psyduck right. doesn't count folks. Psyduck does not count. Psyduck is not a platypus. We need a true platypus Pokemon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Psyduck. I, I agree. Psyduck's not a platypus, the, but you know, a true a platypus is much more uh, interesting and unique. You could really go places with a, with a true platypus Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the few that I wanted to shout out, first of all, uh, I love capybara. Um, and I, they're, they're adorable. And if you've ever seen them, like they get huge, they get massive. If you, uh, if you've ever seen them at like the zoo or something, um, they, they get absolutely ridiculously large. And, uh, I think that would be a really fun sort of, you know, bog standard normal type to have in a generation. Um, I just, I just, they're just adorable. They're just cute. Um, But another one, this is actually not a real animal, so that's why I didn't make my list. But um, I I love the sort of like, you know, southern portion of America, sort of like desert mythology um, around the jackalope. Like oh wow, <laughs> this this jackrabbit with antlers that, that that creature has always sort of captured my imagination, and um even though like I know Unova is supposed to be somewhat based on on America and whatnot, but it, it's not really like I would like to see a region that really kind of captures the the true geography of of America and to, to kind of go into that sort of Southern portion um, of, of the country and, uh, and to get into something like a Jackalope, I think would be really cool as a, as a Pokemon design. <laughs> you can have a Chupacabra Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, Hey, gen <laughs> nine is very clearly based on like Spain and whatnot. So, Hey, maybe a Chupacabra is running around in there. Be a cool ghost type.
1: <laughs> maybe I could, I can actually see that. That'd be kind of cool.
0: But uh, going into my number one, speaking of ghost type, because this is sort of the the idea that I have for for this Pokemon. Um, Here comes I, the
1: Gengar bias.
0: I mean, I love... Ghost is my favorite type. Like, I, I just can't... <laughs> I can't stay too far away from, from ghost Pokemon. My number one is the Big Fin Squid. Um, and I know many of you probably have never heard of a Big Fin Squid. This is probably the single most fascinating animal on planet earth to me because they went completely undetected. Like the, the, they have records of big fin squid going back to 1907, but the first actual visual record of the big fin squid didn't happen until 1988 um, these are so elusive, so kind of staying in the deep sea. But if you've ever seen footage of a big fin squid, these are literally aliens. Like they're they're like the most alien creature you've ever seen. These legs that are these tentacles that are feet long that come down in like stilts and. I already, I mean, obviously the world is fascinated with the concept of big Pokemon um, with mega evolutions and Gigantamax and everything. And even like something like the um, Alolan Exeggutor just being like this massive palm tree like the big fin squid is such a fascinating creature and i the, the mythology around it is such that like there's so little known about the big fin squid even in modern science like the, you just don't find them and they're, they're very rare they're, they live in like the deep ocean and i like that sort of mythology they almost have kind of a ghost story element to them and i know that we've had a couple of like ghost water types kind of thing, especially um, with Basque legion and Pokemon legends, we got that sort of ghost flavor, but I really like the idea of having this creepy alien ghost, big fin squid under the water in the Pokemon universe. And um, it's just like the most crazy. I mean, look up a video of the big fin squid. Like it is just buck wild that something like that (laughs) exists on our planet. And um, I would love to see it in the Pokemon world, too.
1: (laughs) Nice. Well, for my number one, it may initially seem a little weird, but I promise by the end of my explanation, you'll be completely sold. Okay. My number one is actually a peacock. Okay.
0: Okay. It is kind of weird that there hasn't been a, a real peacock yet.
1: Yeah, the closest thing we've really had is Ho-Oh, I guess, but no. Yeah, yeah. But no. But every generation, every generation has its Pidgey. It has its, you know, we talked about Rookity and Corviknight a little earlier. It's got its uh, Swillow and Talo. It's got that early game bird type Pokemon that you run into. You know, there's a lot of different tropes uh, with every generation. I've already talked about the fossil type Pokemon. You've got your, you know, your rodents, like your Rattatas and your Zigzagoons and stuff like that, which uh, LeChonk seems like he's going to kind of fit into that considering he's a normal type and based on the level he was at in the trailer you're probably going to meet it early on in the game so lechonk is probably going to fit into that early game normal type rodent varmint trope for pokemon scarlet and violet i think the early game bird type Should be like a little quail type Pokemon. And its final evolution, its Pidgeot form, its Corviknight form, its Talonflame form should be a peacock. Okay. And A, it's crazy that a unique bird like that has never truly appeared in Pokemon form considering we have I believe over 120 different flying types. it is weird that a peacock has never appeared in Pokemon form but specifically for gen 9 because we've we've been talking about we've basically been talking about animals that need versions of Pokemon. This one specifically would be perfect for gen 9. For the culture that celebrates carnival to have the bird type, the ubiquitous everywhere bird type, be the peacock.
0: I was just going to say, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about Pave from Animal Crossing.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. The culture that celebrates a massive party where everybody running around is already essentially an explosion of colors and feathers. We have precedence for it on the Nintendo switch already in animal crossing with pave the bird type trope for gen nine. Absolutely should be a peacock and owing to its multicolored form. Maybe you could lean into that by giving it different element attacks. Maybe it could use, maybe it learns an ice attack and a fire attack and, Uh, a fighting, maybe even an electric, owing to its multicolored theming.
0: That'd be cool, yeah.
1: But it absolutely needs to happen. However, if for whatever reason, you're not necessarily on board with that plan, I have a backup plan for you to include a peacock into Gen 9. Chatot is a brightly colored little parakeet parrot Pokemon Mm -hmm. based around noise, chatting, essentially, who is noise-based. A Peacock Pokemon could easily be an evolution for Chatot, and using the circle patterns on the edge of each of its feathers, you could turn the Peacock's tail feathers into some massive fanning amplifier row. And you could have this Carnival Spanish Peacock singing its own Carnival music using its tail feathers as amplifiers for its music to use as an attack.
0: Yeah, because Chatot doesn't evolve into anything currently anyway. So like, you could definitely have a regional Chatot that evolves into this Peacock Pokemon. Absolutely.
1: And then again, you have the tail feathers that act just like Noivern's ears, just like Loudrid's little circular speaker amplifier antennas. You could have this Peacock Pokemon's tail feathers fan out into a massive wave of reflective amplifiers that just serve to, again, amplify its carnival music that it's playing all over the place. (laughs) Not only, not only would it make so much sense? But genuinely, it makes way too much sense. It makes so much sense that at this point, I would be disappointed if it didn't happen. A peacock Pokemon needs to happen for Gen 9. You need to have a carnival festival themed Pokemon for this Spanish region. It makes way too much sense, in my opinion.
0: Well, you sold me. (laughs) <laughs> you, you sold me. We we need we need a peacock in Gen Nine. Yeah. Get get I've, on it, Game Freak.
1: I've given you multiple ways to incorporate it into the game, Game Freak. Come on, do the right thing. But. <laughs> Those have just been our thoughts and our top five IRL animals that we think need to finally be represented in the Pokemon world with the upcoming Gen 9 Scarlet and Violet. Let us know what your favorite IRL animals are that you think would make a perfect Pokemon let us know. Reach out to us on Facebook. Reach out to us on Twitter. Join the conversation over on Discord. And let us know all of your cool Pokemon pitches and ideas for Gen 9. But speaking of Pokemon, a game that we are very much looking forward to. Very much looking forward to the future. And a game that is very, very heavily rooted in its past. Uh, that's you know, That theme certainly seems to be running around This week is actually the next game we're going to be talking about. The future of it is also firmly rooted in its past. It is a really, really cool action platformer coming to us from Summit Spear currently on Kickstarter. And we have the Games Mastermind joining us in the Indie Showcase.
0: All right, dear listeners, when our special guest this week reached out to us to tell us about the new game he was working on, he said he thought it might be right up our alley. And you know what? He was absolutely right. Joining us in the Indie Showcase this week is the studio head at Summit Sphere, the director, lead designer, and composer of Anthem Blast, live now on Kickstarter, Tony Grayson.
2: Yay! (laughs) Boo! (laughs) <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> All, always uh, the counterculturalist. Uh, uh, absolutely. I mean, if we're not counterculture, then what are we, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but welcome to the show, sir. Uh, thank you so much. So
1: uh, so you've had a busy couple of weeks, haven't you, sir? <laughs> well, you can say that. Uh, just a little bit. Yeah, the Kickstarter just passed a hundred thousand as we're talking to you. Congratulations on that. any any blast has been confirmed
3: yeah that's right that's right uh the ghost of ex-girlfriend's past is back to haunt me so yeah i mean i thought that was going to be our secret tony i thought that was going to be a secret uh well listen you know what i i I need to get the word out somehow right Um, that's fair this this is therapy for me this is uh (laughs) there you go all in therapy i like that that's fair. fair uh what did they do to you tony show us where they hurt you (laughs) <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah. But uh yes, a uh- big thank you to all of us that have supported us on Kickstarter for getting us to this point. Uh, I'm not looking forward to the process of animating her, but we are legally obligated (laughs) to do so now. (laughs) Now you have to do it. Well,
0: Tony, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, for those who don't already know, give us the elevator
3: pitch. What is Anton Blast? Well, uh, that is a funny story. So Anton Blast is a game about a little red man named Anton who we call a destruction worker, which is a very real uh, occupation now poor little red anton uh who is known for being red uh has a <laughs> what we call a prized spirit collection which is sort of our uh, funny way of saying he really likes his booze now deep right. deep down in the depths of hell is the devil himself satan and our take on satan isn't so fascinated with being evil or anything like that nothing too uh too real for those at home, but rather he is obsessed with developing the strongest hand in the world. He wants to be the reddest thing in existence. So <laughs> when he discovers through his magic mirror that he is in fact not the reddest thing in existence, he throws a shit. For and <laughs> and he he sends his legions of moles and kiwis and demonic hell spawn right up to Boiler City in Anton's apartment to steal Anton's prized spirit collection, believing it to be the source of his power. Now, that doesn't sit right with Anton. I mean, look how red he is. He's mad, he's bad, he's pissed off. So, <laughs> now, as Anton, you, the player, will have to control him as he smashes, bashes, crashes, and blasts through nine and potentially 12 uh, different worlds across the Backburner Peninsula. And... It's not just standard platformer fare. Those of you who've played games like Wario Land 4 or really any of the Metroid series uh, Mm -hmm. will probably get a kick out of this one. At the end of each stage, you actually have to set off a timer, uh, which is linked to a detonator. And uh, we call this sequence happy hour. (laughs) Now, (laughs) you know, and Anton just goes, it's happy hour. Right, like he's he's <laughs> screaming this from stuff. the voice of Anton himself, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the only Anton voice you will get during the stream. But um, <laughs> but um, when happy hour starts, uh, Anton has to rush back to the start of the level and get back to uh, what we call Brulo's magic elevator before everything blows and you know obviously anton is destructive but he doesn't really like to be caught in the destruction he doesn't want to deal with the consequences of what he's done um i don't like to be blown up either so i, I get where he's coming from yeah right i mean it's a very i think it's a very relatable game you know yeah, it
0: gets to the real heart of us as humans i think
3: yeah i would say it really yeah. deals with the social issues that are impacting today's society
0: exactly incredibly <laughs> um- <laughs> introspective
3: anton for president Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have more details on uh, Anton's presidential campaign after the interview. But um, <laughs> so the game is very much like a sort of GBA throwback style platformer in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, on our Kickstarter, we talk about how the game is influenced by uh, obviously, like anyone that looks at this can tell there's like that big Wario Land influence. But um, But we also draw from stuff like Crash Bandicoot, Shovel Knight, Cuphead. Metroid Dread was actually a really big one. Um, And I do want to to get into that at a later point, just because it's not maybe so apparent when you look at it. But as you play the game, the influence sort of unfolds. Um, But despite the fact that it's built off of so many retro experiences, uh, our whole shtick is taking that stuff and those production techniques and sort of bringing it into, uh, I guess like a modern environment and doing stuff that you couldn't necessarily do back then. So obviously your modern engine, you got physics enhancements, uh, modern voice acting and just lots of different stuff that maybe they wanted to do back then, but they couldn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, so for us, it's kind of like, you like those games. Cool. We're going to evolve those. We're not going to be exactly the same, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, tickle your fancy just a little bit.
0: Yeah, you. I mean, you guys, obviously, you've cited a bunch of inspirations, but I mean, what are what are some of those ways that Anton and Blast would kind of surprise people that that kind of come into this thinking, oh, this is going to be an, a Wario Land-esque thing, this is going to be a Metroid Dread-esque thing, or whatever? What are, what are some ways that you guys are kind of surprising people and bringing Anton and Blast into the modern era?
3: Well, I think if I go back to the Wario Land comparison for a minute, uh... One thing that a lot of people kind of forget when they play those games, and I I can forgive a lot of people for not having played those games recently because, you know, Wario Land 4, like, that game came out 21 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. and it's not available on anything right now, um, notwithstanding rumors, of course. So, you know, a lot of right. people who have played that game, uh, they are kind of just – you know, they, they, or not even play the game, but they've seen it through like YouTube videos and stuff. Uh, They don't really quite remember or recall like, Hey, this game kind of controls bad. Like it's, it's a very, (laughs) you know, and listen, I am the biggest Land fan you will ever meet or talk to you. I have a virtual boy sitting right here on my work desk. And it's, (laughs) and it's got virtual boy Land in there. I'm probably the only guy in the past 25 years who has actually sat, and played the whole game through that. <laughs> um, but the thing is, those games really don't control super well. They are very rigid. You know, it's that sort of typical R&D 1 jank. And again, I say mm-hmm. it's nothing but love. That's part of the DNA of those games. But with Anton yeah. Blast, part of bringing that sort of genre into the modern era is like when you play something like Celeste, right? Or Shovel Knight yeah. or Cuphead. These are platformers that are kind of... Really, sort of like the gold standard in terms of control, right? You know, they are Celeste, especially is just phenomenal to play. Yeah, uh, and then obviously Metroid Dread uh, was probably as far as Metroidvanias and just platforms in general. That game is just <laughs> the best controlling game I've played, straight up. So that was actually a really big focus uh, when we were designing this game how can we make Anton's moveset really fun to play with and really kinetic? So we looked at what games like Celeste and Metroid Dread did and looked at how and this is maybe getting more to the technical side of it. But, you know, you have buffers in there. So if you push a button, but it's maybe not the exact time you're supposed to push that button, the game still registers it. So when you are able to perform that action, it will still perform even if you mistimed it. Stuff like that really helps to contribute to making the game just kind of feel like butter underneath your fingers. Yeah. Um, And then Anton's moveset in general is also just really, as I said, kinetic, you know, he's obviously, uh, we do have that sort of warrior esque, uh, clutch, we call it, which is sort of like the shoulder bash. Um, but ours is just much faster, much more violent, (laughs) keeping in tone with destructive nature. Uh, he breaks out his hammer, uh, when he actually connects with something. Um, but then that can also slide into, uh, sorry, combo, into for example a metroid <laughs> dread type slide um, you can do somersaults you can vault up to high areas uh, you have your internally it's called an ass blast um, <laughs> but uh, but um you know you have your hammer smashes uh you can roll down slopes and all of this you know in a game again like wario or even stuff like celeste or whatever you know this stuff is kind of it moves independently of one another but, in the case of Anton, you can actually combo these different moves into one another. And I'm maybe you guys have seen maybe you haven't. But this has led to some really insane tech and speed running. And you know the community behind this game has gone crazy. Like there is a run of the demo level that we put out, which for most people, takes anywhere up to half an hour to go and find everything, yeah, yeah, but, these people are going out and beating that demo in sub two minutes. Like, oh, it's crazy. <laughs> like Anton is a little speed demon.
1: When you, when you were doing play testing, when you, when you were checking out all these moves, did you kind of anticipate those? Was Were you doing all this with with like speed run tech in mind? Or are the techs that people are coming up with just blowing your mind that you just completely didn't anticipate them whatsoever?
3: You know, that's a funny thing because uh, you wouldn't know it from Anton Ball Deluxe, because that game had a uh, very, I don't want to say troubled uh, development, but it was very, uh, how Hard should I say, unconventional. Right. It was very unconventional for our standards. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a typical right. um, design or development for us at all. But actually, our signature mark, and particularly myself as designer, uh, it really comes down to me, uh, what's the word for this? Just... Can I can I reference illicit substances? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I won't. But we make speed games, right? Yeah, um But speed sure. games speed games with depth. So so much of my design philosophy does come down to adre- uh, adrenaline and how you know how you can sort of iterate and impact that stuff. Anton Blast is mm. interesting because it does reward you if you're slow and take your time. But we did also make sure to Make it where it function as a speed game. And so when I was doing this sort of just gray box tests for the game, you know, before you have any art or anything, and actually these were red box tests. Like this, the, our, <laughs> our, my, the little player sprite I did up was just a red box. It was like, it had to be red because it was Anton, right? But um, when I was doing those red box tests, the important thing. Uh, during the prototyping stage was just, this has to feel super good in the hand. And I think when controls feel good in the hand, that sort of lends itself to a speedrunning practice. And I'm not really much of a speedrunner myself. I just don't really have the discipline to be able to do that. But whilst developing the moveset for this game, I definitely did pay attention to speedruns in games like Wario Land, or Metroid Dread, or Kirby's Adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff where you kind of figured out, okay, people who play these games and speedrun these games, they like them for these purposes. Uh, so there was definitely like conscious implementation of hey you know this is something that might appeal to speedrunners but some of the tech that i've seen and some of the practices that i've seen are have just blown my mind and the team's mind i never expected anyone to get <laughs> under 2 minutes in boiler city that is Wow, <laughs> in 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 absolutely intense.
1: But uh, just in terms of the game's feel, obviously, you know, you briefly mentioned Anton Ball, but just in terms of this game's feel, feeling good to play as a speed run game, feeling good to play as an even slower pace, much more methodical type experience. How long did it really take you guys to find that balance of a game that you can't just, that you're not just going left or right and jumping and attacking,
3: but a game that actually feels satisfying to play? That was something that took a really long time, actually. And it was something that we were cognizant of from the beginning, right? Because after Anton Ball Deluxe released, and even before that, there were a lot of people who, particularly like an Anton Ball Deluxe, like, Anton looked a lot like Wario in that game, right? Like he kind of had like the same sort of teeth and the same sort of build and all that. And I think people sort of looked at that and were like, man, these guys would do a really good Wario platformer. I have no idea how they got the the impression that we would do a good one from playing Anton Ball. Um, (laughs) But I appreciate the vote of confidence from them nonetheless. Um, But having gone through that game, like one of the things that was kind of like a recurring point to me was – anton ball deluxe kind of feels crap to play right like it's just a very clunky rigid arcade game that's by design because it was meant to feel like you know mario brothers from the 80s you know it it was yeah it was deliberately like that but that was sort of the turning point for me where it was like you can't just go and emulate that stuff because what people remember and like about those games was not that it wasn't necessarily the game feel so prototyping Anton Blast was actually a process that took over a year by this point. Wow. You know, and so much of it came down to like what, you know, what is going to make this game a unique value proposition? We can't just do Wario Land 5 or 6 or 7 depending on which ones you count. Um, But we can't just do like another Wario Land. We can't just copy that moveset and that feel and call it a day. Because then the Wario Land fans are going to like that. And then no one else really. You know, and maybe not even them. Because you kind of get into that cover band syndrome. So I guess from there, it was just sort of that iterative process of what is fun to do. um, What can Anton do himself that is a unique value proposition from a character like Wario or Mario or Sonic or Crash. Um, And when it sort of dawned on me that it was like Anton's like a very angry looking guy. Or like I perceive as a very angry looking guy in Anton Ball Deluxe. Maybe he's not. But when I sat down uh, with our lead pixel artist and we just kind of kept drawing these progressively more distorted and compressed Antons, (laughs) it sort of came out like, geez, this is a angry little bugger. So (laughs) what, what do angry people do? They punch holes in their walls. They kick stuff over. They blow things up. And He's going to wreck then it, it. He's going to wreck it, right. Um, <laughs> so that is kind of when it hit, uh, when we sort of realized that is what Anton shtick is. Then it came down to looking at other games that did the destruction element and trying to improve on what those games did. So then you looked at stuff like Broforce was a big one. Yeah. Um, right. Yep. And that was the first place that I looked, but it wasn't super compatible because that's a game that is really all about your ranged uh, projectiles, you know, like your guns and your grenades and all that. And also the environments are very linear and it's all about just blowing stuff up willy nilly, right? So it just, it didn't really make sense for like the sort of uh, exploration platformer we were trying to do. Especially with the fact that we wanted to do melee stuff, so then I actually looked at a game called Tempo: The Badass Elephant, and Tempo, yeah from, what, yeah, from
1: yeah, from Game Freak,
3: or yep, from Game Freak, Game Freak, yeah. yeah, yep, Game Freak and Sega, and that's not a game that a lot of people know, but, but and it, I'm not going to say it's not very good.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> anyway, moving on, but um, but uh, I, I did play the demo for that quite a bit. And I thought that was a little bit more compatible with what we were trying to do because the, even though the levels were sort of linear Mario-style course progression, there was some exploration involved, and your main attack was this sort of warrior-type charge. Charge, uh, yeah, yep. And you know, you would sort of explore. The levels were linear, but they were they had like an exploration aspect to them, and you would move stuff around, and there were wrecking balls, and that made a lot of sense to me uh, to adapt into what we were doing. Because even though I didn't feel that the concept was done supremely well, I felt that it had demonstrated quite a bit of potential. And so from there, it basically just came down to, all right, what kind of uh, destructibles can we have in Anton's world? Um, You know, how does it feel to break stuff? And that's why, like, you know, when you break stuff, you have casino chips blowing everywhere and point particles. (laughs) And, you know, like it's kind of sensory overload in a way, as the GBA did, of course, but, it, yeah, it just kind of came down to that. I think it was sort of like, okay, Warrior meets Tembo meets Crash, meets Metroid. <laughs> but, you know, you don't advertise Tembo because no one knows what that game is. And the people that do don't like <laughs> right. it. Um, it was really that turning point. You know, it was just like, Anton Ball Deluxe kind of sucks to play. And we don't want to make Wario Land 5. And we want to make a game that fits Anton. So let's look at other games that are, Actually, good. Oh, wait! Breaking stuff works. Everyone likes breaking stuff. That is immediately understandable. I I was actually
0: curious about that because, like, Anton Ball Deluxe. I mean, it's essentially like you said. I mean, it's it's an arcadey, old school. It's like a brick breaker. So I mean, so I mean, what is the the why there? Why take Anton into that entirely different genre for
3: Anton Blast? Well, I think the, the funny thing about that is that Anton Ball was never meant to be. Anton's be-all, end-all as a character. Right. You know, the origin of that character actually started as making something like Anton Blast to start with. He was always envisioned as a sort of platformer character. We actually had a game that we were working on with that character. But he was quite different at the time. You know, he wasn't really quite this Wario-esque character that he is now. In fact, a lot of the genesis of Anton had nothing to do with Wario at all. Like, uh, people... Don't really believe me until I say. Actually, Anton is just our uh, lawyer. Safe, Captain Haddock. Right. <laughs> so, like, like the thing, the thing for us is, and the thing for me is, that I've never been shy about wearing like our influences on our sleeve. Right. Like, it never <laughs> ever. Yeah. It's more yeah, just like just take one look at your Twitter and you. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I mean, like, just <laughs> look at my cover photo. Like, it's literally just <laughs> <laughs> Virtual Boy <laughs> Wario Land. You know, that's it. <laughs> right. Um. But like, for me, it's all about the attribution, right? Like, he's not Wario. He's Captain Haddock and Crash Bandicoot and Wario. Um, But yeah, as I said, that character wasn't really meant to be just Anton Ball. We had um, other projects in the works for that. So we had other games that we were working on, which kind of took uh, precedence over uh, the Anton game at the time. And Anton actually didn't have a name. He was just called Red Guy. That was it. Like if we put out red guy blast, do you think that would have suit? Like, do you think that would have worked? Yeah. Probably we'll fly off the shell too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, so, man worked for one game. It did, but it wasn't the title. It wasn't the title. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so we had other games that we we're working on and we were pitching to devolver digital and, you know, we were having this conversation. Yeah. Like it, they, there's at the time, especially 2018, 2019, I think they were very on brand to what summit sphere is now. Um, right. But we had this character and he was sort of on ice for the time because we were working on our own. Uh, we had like a beat him up that we were working on. Um, and that, you know, we were talking to publishers. It didn't really go anywhere as cool as it was. um, and I had remembered during this time period. We're fast. Uh, we're going back to 2019 now. There was a game jam called the GB Jam, which was this sort of. It. it I think it's pretty obvious what it is from the name, which is just like you know Game Boy styled games. That's yep. what they wanted. You know, right? 160 by 144, D pad, two buttons. Boom. There you go. Four colors. And I always wanted to make a game that was like early Game Boy, black box NES. That was just a sort of dream ad and it was kind of a selfish dream because I don't think anyone else cares about that besides me. Um, <laughs> but I had this idea for like a sort of sideways Arkanoid type thing. And I realized, Oh, you know, I have this character red guy. And if you look up Mario, it was like an analog. <laughs> he always showed up in like golf yep. and boxing. I uh, sorry like punch out all this stuff, just kind of bizarre. Um, and I thought, well, Yeah, you know what? Not even thinking or treating this seriously. We can just use him as like a sort of analog for that. And I realized, well, crap, you know, this is a Game Boy game. I I can't call him Red Guy because it's it's all (laughs) black-white. Right. So the name Anton just sort of appeared in my head, and that's what he became. Um, And then to make a long story short, that actually did relatively well, and we got approached by a publisher to produce Anton Ball Deluxe. And so that took precedence over any of the other projects that we had because we were actually getting paid to make it. It was first yeah. money we'd seen in a hot <laughs> minute. Um, but that didn't have a very conventional dev cycle just because it was sort of like publisher jumps in halfway through this project that we weren't intending to be commercial, so on and so on. So to kind of put a nice ribbon on that, Anton was not really meant to be anything like what Anton Ball Deluxe was. It was in a lot of ways, a very emulative game, Um, sort of appealing to, hey, you know, if you like Mario Bros. Classic, you know, those remakes that they did on the GBA, uh, then this kind of appeals to you and we're not really too concerned about putting too much of our own stamp on it besides maybe, like, hiding some weird stuff in the files or whatever. Um, And, you know, I guess I didn't expect that to go anywhere. So, I was kind of surprised that it actually did develop some kind of following and then I had to answer for why this character looks like Wario. Um, <laughs> you know, just because uh, that style of game, that sort of arcade thing, you know, I have a personal passion for it, but it's not what Sphere is, so to speak. Um, and again, because we didn't expect that to go anywhere, my thought process was like, okay, you know, we'll just make this and we'll make it very authentic. So when it came out and it actually kind of spread way beyond what any of us expected it to, besides maybe the publisher, the publisher thought it was kind of, it didn't do that hot. Um, But for the people who made the game, we were like, oh crap, people think that this sucks. (laughs) So um, I guess that was sort of the wake up call in a way like, oh, well, we have this audience here so why don't we actually go back and make the game that we wanted to make from the start which eventually evolved into anton blast so very bizarre turn of events but like in some ways anton blast is a game that conceptually dates back to 2017 i think the better question to ask ultimately might be why did anton take that sharp left turn albuquerque you know, like, why did he why <laughs> right. did he go to Anton Ball? A lot of people are kind of looking back at us like, geez, Anton Ball, that's a weird spinoff. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, that's because money. Exactly. We got paid to make it, but they wouldn't exactly. pay us to make Anton Blast, So here we are today. That's so interesting to me because you, you would
0: think that Anton Blast would be the more you know conventional, I guess the 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 one that would appeal more to a publisher if anything else. But I think it's really cool still that you guys are taking it to Kickstarter, you're doing it yourself, and not only that, but you're coming complete with a playable demo. Which yes. to to me, I would, like when you sent that over. I was this feels super polished already. I was curious. Would you say that? that vertical slice demo that you guys have for the Kickstarter, is that pretty representative of like your final vision of the game?
3: You know, I would say it's even a couple notches below what we intend to deliver in the final game. Wow. Like like it's very, it's definitely very polished and we put a lot of effort into making sure that it was the, you know, the best product we could represent. Um, totally hell like even we were working on it to the last minute believe it or not like anton well, sure. screaming it's happy hour was something that we <laughs> added in straight up 11th hour like that was the night before going live so wow you know stuff like that which kind of became iconic in a way like i see people making memes out of that and everything like, <laughs> you know it's, it's it's very fortuitous but um to answer your question uh, I think that the demo is very good to kind of give a taste of what we intend to do. But as far as what the final game will be like, you know, that that boiler city, for example, is actually even a bit smaller than what we intend to deliver the final product. So we intend to have uh, nine more stages, uh, potentially 12 uh, if we reach, I believe it is the $125,000 stretch goal. Um, and those levels are structured a bit more like a, you know, like a typical Wario Land stage is very linear still, and in our case, we're look we're leaning more into the sort of Metroid feel, where levels are maybe a bit more they're a bit more like a biome. You know, there's a bit more exploration yeah, to them. Yeah. Um, there is like a sort of general linear path, but there's a lot of exploration that you can do. It's almost, it's almost like a banjo level in a way. Um, and so, wow, man, you just, you just spoke to me right there. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, that's the thing. Like it's something that again, as we look to sort of evolve this formula, uh, if you look again, at something like Wario Land. The exploration was a cool component, but it was sort of alluded to. It was never really dived into. So with Anton Blast, we're pushing that. A lot further and you know that sort of thing isn't necessarily super evident in a demo um just because it had to also be a tutorial and right that's a really tough thing to pull off i think we did well tutorializing the game's mechanics uh from what i've seen in streams or whatever like people do seem to understand it in that short time but again you know if you just go in and deliver every single mechanic from the start people are going to get overwhelmed um the other component that I would say is not fully represented in the demo would just be the destructive element, which is kind of a key component. Mm. But this is just one of those things where it comes down to time. You know, it, it is represented to some degree where you have some puzzles that you can screw up for yourself if you're not careful. Um, yeah, and then there- I did. <laughs> <laughs> right in the beginning uh, with the girder. Right at the start. Yeah. And there's also that set piece with the skyscraper. uh, that, you know, you roll into the cement mixer and get shot up. You know, that was a cool thing that I really fought to get included in the demo. But, you know, this is all stuff that is a small aspect of it. So in the final game, what you're going to see is uh, more substantive destruction. uh, More things are going to get blown up and that's going to affect, you know, entire portions of the level. So, you know, there's a lot going on. But I do think... If you like what the demo has to offer, then you will love what we will deliver uh, in the final game next year. Wow.
0: So substantive destruction. That, that is a fantastic summation of what Anton Blast is. I, I love that. That's, that's got to be on the box. Right Right next to where it says shape similar to Wario and Russian character and whatever that guy on Twitter was saying. Um, uh,
3: yes, of course. The, the, the Russian dendy bootleg of Wario.
0: yes I was actually I I wanted to ask you about that because was that surprising to you like the fact that so many people seem to think that Anton Blast is somehow like breaking the law or infringing upon Nintendo's copyrights I mean is that (laughs) was that surprising or do you just take that as the ultimate flattery uh
3: you know I mean it's it's there's two elements to that right because I think um when people say that they're again even like within that when people say that there's two elements to it, because number one, people, people are looking for something to crap on. You know, that's just, that's just kind of it, especially people who don't make things, you know, they don't really understand the process. You can explain to them that Mario is a Popeye ripoff as much as you want. They don't get it. Um, Sure. But beyond that, You know, you also have to ask yourself as a developer, you know, are there any failings on my end of communicating the unique value proposition of the game? Uh, I know from my part that, you know, Anton Blast is obviously it's a very familiar experience, but it offers a lot uh, that is unique to it as well. Um, But I feel that in retrospect, maybe our trailer didn't necessarily communicate that as well as it could, for example, you know, a lot of the movement in that trailer is very lumbering, very slow. It's not my gameplay. Um, so, um, so you know, I would I would forgive anyone for looking at that and you know looking at it for maybe ten seconds and be like, oh, this is too much like Wario Land, you know, because I saw that in like all the comment sections and whatever. But <laughs> right, I've got
1: to say that that tweet of yours when you basically just said, if you guys are worried about that, check this out, and it was basically just a repurposed Super Mario eight bits right. I was oh, like, yeah, that's, that's a Lario. amazing,
3: L'Oreal. That, that's
1: Lario, <laughs> Lario. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yep, yep. Um. That's,
1: that's, that's, that's from the creator now, that's canon.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that, was canon. Just, that was just some mod that someone had sent to us and I was like, oh, that's going on the Twitter. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's very funny to me because at the same time, you know, I know that the game is unique and the people who have played the game, I would say that the reception has been 99.5% positive. You know, there's just that very small percentage of people who look at it and are like, ah, this is too much like thing I already know. Ah, you know, I can't, I can't enjoy this. Um, And, you know, all I can say is I'm really sorry that you feel that way. Um, I do appreciate the comparison um, to be, you know, even on the Kickstarter, it says Tony Grayson isn't Shigeru Miyamoto, uh, but who is? (laughs) And so if you, if you put me in the same breath as, you know, Nintendo EAD or R&D one, then Boom. I I love it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I just hope that the people who say that do end up playing the demo or playing the game and realizing, oh, this is actually pretty fun. Um, and, you know, to that end, there's two sides to that coin because you can have the people who see it for what it is and really like that it is a fun and unique game, but it's still familiar, but then you'll have the people who see the game and like it and hell even love it but they're like hey this is like a new wario land and it's really that's a really interesting one for me to kind of reconcile because the game was never intended as you know sort of i don't want to name drop anyone to make my comparison here uh but you know you you'll see like there's a bunch of games that do like the paper mario thing for example yeah And their, and their deal, and this is no knock to them because to do something like that and sort of produce a new entry in a series like that is really cool, you know, and there are some really great substantive experiences that come from that, but that was never our intention. Like our intention was always to sort of create something that evolved past that, you know, I guess in the way that Shovel Knight sort of riffs on the Zelda two downward spike mechanic, you know, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. where we can kind of try to push that further with our own flair. Um, but then you will have folks who look at it and are like, man, this is just like a new Wario Land game. I love this. You know, these guys are carrying the Wario Land torch. And look, I'm not going to say no to your money, okay? Um, <laughs> I, I'm just going to be very honest because the publishers said no to me and I knew that they were wrong. And so I appreciate you supporting us at this time. Um, but it's it's a very scary position to be in because I love those games, sincerely like i will always say i'm the number one it's wario a very player.
1: heavy thing to carry
3: right it is it is you know it's kind of like carrying wario on your back you just can't do it um <laughs> so you know when you have uh people kind of saying to you hey this is going to be like the shovel Knight of wario games like geez that is that is a big <laughs> way to carry you know to kind of say <laughs> you know so I do appreciate that a lot. And I appreciate that people entrust us with that because, uh, you know, I'm very keen to like the indie scene. And there have definitely been other games that have sort of tried to carry that and have Mm -hmm. maybe diverged into other maybe Sonic influences or what have you. Um, And I'm great friends with all of them, by the way. Um, But to kind of sort of get that crown of thorns put atop us uh is it's both an honor and extremely terrifying and also please see our game for more than that you know it's 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 a a bunch of mixed emotions i will never say no to it of course you know and uh if if that leads to a mercury steam situation and nintendo calls us up and says hey we want you to make the virtual boy wario land remake or we want you to make we want you to make wario land dread then like Dude, yeah, like I will take it. I will take it. I think being associated with that there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just uh it's it's mixed emotions, I will say.
1: Well, I mixed know you guys emo- certainly yeah. have a lot of personality that you're throwing into this game. And I specifically, I just wanted to ask you one quick question about the Kickstarter campaign itself because some of your uh backer tiers are very intriguing and <laughs> I just so I've I've just got to ask What's this about Anton disappearing? Oh, well, um,
3: listen. For some <laughs> p- <sighs> L- Look, you, you guys have seen Twitter. Uh-huh. Anton <laughs> has clearly been causing some problems for people. You know, there are people who just, particularly with Anton Ball, Anton Blaster didn't see so much of this, but Anton Ball got a lot of derision. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. were very angry at Anton for some reason. I'm like, dude, it's an arcade game. And then still, right. you know, to this day, you see some people are very angry at him uh, for whatever reason. And so we wanted to offer backers uh, a way to make Anton go away. <laughs> um, so with your generous donation of $10,000, we can send Anton on an all expenses paid trip to Belize. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, we will provide video footage of Anton disappearing. Um, and yeah, you know, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's what we have to offer. Um, we actually, you know, it, it, we, we like to cater to our fans and we also like to cater to our not fans. So, uh that is our response to the people who maybe don't like Anton so much. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, <laughs> I, I guess I guess I don't have more to say on that. You, you'll just have to find out when someone buys it.
0: Oh, I can't wait. Man, to I, that. I hope I almost hope somebody buys it just because <laughs> I, I want to see what it even is. I mean, um, it's it's really interesting to me to, to kind of you, you wear a lot of hats on Anthem Blast, of course, being the studio head, being the lead designer. Something that I'm very passionate about is video game music and you also being the game's composer. yes, um, It really kind of stuck out to me, even just in the demo. I was like, man, this game has a great soundtrack. (laughs) And um, I I was kind of curious how you're approaching the game's soundtrack and kind of what some of your biggest inspirations are for the sound of Anthem Blast.
3: Well, first off, thank you so much for the kind words. That means a lot. I've been really humbled by the reception to the soundtrack in general. It's great. Um, but the approach uh, to the soundtrack is quite an interesting one. I actually started off my professional career as a composer. Um, I had done live music and touring, uh, session work, so in a lot of ways I would say I'm a composer first. Um, so when it came to approaching the soundtrack to Anton Blast uh, and being you know, sort of like the overarching I guess vision for the game, you know, being the director. Mm -hmm. So that game obviously has a very GBA inspired aesthetic. Uh, I, I'd like to think of it as like GBA plus in the same way that maybe Sonic Mania is like Genesis plus. So, you know, the GBA had some great soundtracks, right? Like obviously, Oh yeah. Obviously again, like you go back to like Wario land Four, uh, the warrior Wear series had some great music, Um, Yeah, Metroid zero mission, uh, golden sun. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's just so many great titles on there. Sonic Advance had some great titles. Was, um, I didn't like the games too much, but the music was great. Um, <laughs> but the thing about going back to that music is that it's it's a little hard, right? Because that stuff is just so heavily compressed. There's like a there's almost like a curtain on top of it. Um, yeah, you know. But I did always like the approach to the music there because. It was a bit ahead of, like, the Super Nintendo, which had a sort of similar sequence vibe, but the samples used were a bit more advanced. You know, we were talking 2000s here versus the 90s, so music technology had jumped leaps and bounds. Um, And I had been in the business of listening to that stuff, uh, doing restorations. Like, actually, on my SoundCloud, there are some uh, restorations for some of the Wario Land 4 music, um, Battletoads, that sort of thing. Nice. So... Because I'd been doing that for a few years, I'd amassed this collection of sample CDs and vintage hardware, basically the same stuff that guys like Koji Kondo or Ryoji Yoshitomi or David Wise, you know, Josh Mansell, you know, the same sort of sounds that they were using. Just the original source stuff before it was compressed to fit on a GBA cartridge. And that afforded me a very unique opportunity because you could sort of channel that vibe into something that had modern production. Because now, again, that goes back to the modern approach of Summit Sphere. Uh, we have the ability to do modern mixing, mastering, compression, what have you. So that was sort of the base. And then uh, as a personal, you know, bringing my own flair to it, you know, I grew up, obviously, you know, on a lot of VGM, right? You know, sort of like the, like the Sonic Adventure games were actually a big influence uh, for me there. Okay. Um, Sonic CD, you know, Sonic stuff definitely stuck out because I think that's that stuff tended to just be leaps and bounds. Sonic um, boom, indeed. Yes, absolutely. I do love the U.S. <laughs> soundtrack, I will admit, but I think the Japanese one sort of sticks out as an influence for um, Anton Blast in particular. But then going beyond uh, the VGM side, you know, I also grew up on a lot of uh, funk. Um, I grew up on a lot of hard rock, uh, and I very just eclectic taste in general, new Jack swing, a lot of pop. I actually, you know, I love stuff like Michael Jackson's old records, Madonna. And I think that blend of kind of, I think on the Kickstarter, we call it hard funk swing, right? We kind of, (laughs) we draw from a lot of that stuff where it's maybe not necessarily an influence that is heard so much in VGM in general. Um, We're trying to avoid, I guess what I, would consider to be like incestuous (laughs) Um, uh, ripping off of like, okay, I'm going to do Donkey Kong country here and like Wario land here. Sure. Yeah. That's what's most familiar to people um, with the end result, of course. And that's what we use for the marketing. But as far as my own personal influences, like I can say, you know, like earth, wind and fire and, Michael Jackson and Deep Purple, you know, that stuff definitely informed the musical style of Anton Blast. Um, (laughs) And from there, when you render that into this sort of GBA plus sound, you create something that is, you know, not necessarily a sound that a lot of people have heard before. It's, it's pretty unique for what it is. You know, even if you compare it to something like uh, Undertale, which uses a lot of like earthbound sounds, you know, that's, it's a great soundtrack. Toby Fox is phenomenal. Um, But there's like a sort of layer of compression on there because they're like going and using like the, you know, the actual Super Nintendo sound fonts after they've been compressed to hell. So when you look at this, it's this sort of weird, pristine, uh, bizarre, hard funk, swing, rap, uh, limp biscuit sound that is just (laughs) odd. And it fits Anton perfectly, I think, because, like, Anton is just kind of a weird guy.
2: Uh,
3: Yeah. (laughs) um, And, you know, again, being like the sort of director and creative lead on the game, uh, that helps to sort of inform what we want to do with the music. Because you can kind of see – you can imagine the world and then from there that informs the music and the music can inform the world. And it's this nice – Feedback loop that maybe you don't necessarily get if that stuff is abstracted beyond uh, several people. I love that.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I really. I did not expect the Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, drop there yeah. in the in the influences. <laughs> I mean, if there if there are any way that you guys could target September twenty first, twenty twenty three, maybe as the release <laughs> date, that that would be that'd be pretty killer. There. Oh my god! Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The twenty <laughs> first night of September. You know,
1: that's, that's why I was <laughs> laughing a few minutes ago as you were talking about Deep Purple, and I was like, I just for some reason pictured Anton singing "Smoke on the Water." <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but you can, you, can, you can hear that, you know, and it's, it's, um for example, in Out of My Way, It's Happy Hour, there's that little organ solo, which is like very John Lord, you know, and oh, man. and again, like all that stuff kind of informs the music in a way that, you know, if you go and your basis is, I want to make more music that sounds like Warrior Land, or I want to make more music that sounds like Pokemon, or more music that sounds like Earthbound, you know, you're not going to get that. You're not going to get that sort of depth that uh, just drawing from the end result of those games will give you. So yeah, you know, that, that stuff really informed the process and me just being a boomer in my music taste, I think definitely, (laughs) uh, definitely pushed that forward.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the the music is, is awesome, but another thing that I think really stands out about the game is the, the visual style. I mean, you guys have taken this hand-drawn approach Um, you, you've, I'm, I'm just reading this off of the Kickstarter page, hand animated at high resolution, then manually pixelated down with tender loving care. I mean, that's gotta be such an intensely laborious process. What, what was the kind of, uh, thought
3: process behind going with that
0: visual style versus traditional sprite work?
3: Oh, for sure. For sure. It is extremely arduous because you're basically talking three layers of work, you know? Yeah. So it's an interesting thing because As a studio, we actually, you know, we've pitched for many different uh, third-party IP as well. And a number of those third-party IP, uh, their older titles had processes that informed uh, our artistic direction here. Um, And this is not one of those games, but uh, Earthworm Jim was a game that had actually used a process very similar to ours where they had drawn their animations on full Uh, disney style cells and then shrunk them down rasterized them did the coloring and polish and that game to this day is still like a massive artistic showcase and our thought process there uh, versus just going and like hand pixeling stuff was you know i perceive anton especially as being like this obviously again you know you have like your warrior lane influence and all this but i also perceive anton as this sort of looney tunes s character he's very Taz um you know if you sure, look like at yeah, build yeah. and yeah, his expressions very Yosemite Sam um so you don't really it, it's a lot harder to get that sort of expression when you're just hand pixeling because stuff just sort of gets compressed uh stuff is just very you know it, it, the anti Blast sprites are pretty small our resolution is uh barely even 240p so to get that sort of same level of expression and detail. Uh, that we liked out of those cartoons and, you know, other, you know, just to get that big, uh, had to show off Anton's angry personality, especially, um, sure. To just pixel the stuff by hand wasn't going to work. So we had actually experimented with this process for our beat em up game that I referenced earlier. And the intense thing about that, or just the really cool thing about that, that was just a sort of differentiator to other retro games. Uh, was just the fact that it allowed for this sort of degree of detail and fluidity um, that you didn't quite get, you know, or, you know, like tweening stuff doesn't really quite lend itself to that degree of expression either. Um, and so we had, gone with that knowing that it was going to be intense work but the payoff was going to be huge um yeah anton's moveset took a long time and it's one of the reasons why i'm kind of dreading doing annie's moveset next <laughs> Um, because we basically have to go through that whole ringer again um annie is a little yeah. bit nicer for us to look at than anton of course um, <laughs> that's fair she's just she's she's just a little nicer to us anton's just this crabby little uh bugger but um you know, it's again, as I said, it's, it's a laborious process, but the result definitely paid off because I don't think that there's another uh, indie game out there right now that looks like that. You know, even um, yeah, even the, there's a, another game called Pizza Tower, which I'm yeah. really <laughs> right, really good friends with a dev of. Um, and, you know, we uh, I, I, I know what you're laughing at. Um <laughs> but uh, we're we're very good friends. I'm not going to get into it more than that. But um, <laughs> but um, even with that game, which has this sort of Ren and Stimpy art style to it, mm-hmm. that stuff is yes. sort of hand pixeled You know, it's got a larger overall resolution, and the pixel art style is just very dry. And it's it looks super cool and unique in its own way. But it's uh, I guess it's a different level of polish, right? Not better or worse, just different. Uh, So with Anton Blast, for us to kind of do that sort of GBA plus thing with the hand-drawn animations, uh, again, nothing really looks like that. It's a little bit different to your typical uh, Undertale-esque or uh, typical indie platformer. It just, it doesn't really happen. And even by AAA standards, it's, it's different. (laughs) So very much. So it's very unique. Yeah, Yeah, for for sure, for sure.
0: We love it. We uh, we couldn't back it fast enough. I don't think as soon as the Kickstarter uh, went live, we and we, we played the demo a little bit early, put a video up on our YouTube channel, and and people in the community are really excited about the game. Um, so you guys can check out the Kickstarter currently live. When does the Kickstarter end? You know, I believe we have twenty
3: days left at the time of this recording. Uh, yes. Okay. June twenty first. Yes. That's June twenty
0: first. It looks like that's it. <laughs> yep. Is the is the end date. So you got you have plenty of time to get over there and support Anton Blast on Kickstarter. There's some awesome uh, backer rewards. Everything from an Anton plush to uh, a physical art booklet mm-hmm. and the soundtrack, early access to the game, being able to design your own mini game. I'm sure that's going to be an interesting process <laughs> uh, for you guys. But um, and all the way up to the ten thousand dollar make Anton disappear reward. Yes. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. Um, so obviously we want to encourage everybody to go through there and stretch goals are already being hit. The game is fully funded. Yes. Um, we've already got any blast unlocked next stretch goal. At the time of this recording is the extended story for more levels. You've got PlayStation and Xbox ports. You've got two DLC things planned depending on stretch goals. So uh, lots of great reasons to support Anthem Blast on Kickstarter um, after people have backed the game though Tony yes how can people kind of follow you and Summit Sphere to stay updated on the game's process
3: well uh, the place where we're most prolific for sure is on Twitter uh, and that's just at yeah. Summit Sphere uh, we were lucky enough to get in on that quick enough um, and that's where we're going to post most of our updates um, we're also looking into posting a little bit more on uh, TikTok Instagram you know those those kind of great uh, social media platforms but that stuff is going to be a little more ancillary um, most of our updates are going to be on the Summitsphere Twitter, along with whatever garbage we feel like posting that day. Um, and if you want to <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me, uh, then at GraysonZad on Twitter is the best way to do it. Uh, I talk a bit more earnestly about what Anton Blast is on there, and just general game dev musings. So, uh, and of course, if you want to ask me questions or anything, I'm I'm an open book. I don't I don't keep my nose turned up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, links to all that will of course be in the episode description for people to uh, not only back Anton Blast on Kickstarter, but to follow some of And to follow Tony. Um, Tony, we do have one final question. Yes that we like to ask every independent developer we have the opportunity to speak with. But since we kind of already maybe know your answer, you you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, if Nintendo gave us the Mercury Steam treatment, if they said, hey, make a Virtual Boy-style Wario Land game, we would absolutely do it. So I'll rephrase the question a bit. Okay, If Nintendo approached you with the opportunity to make a game based on any of their IP except
3: for Wario Land, (laughs) which would you choose and why? Oh, that is a tough one. That is a tough one. (laughs) Um, Definitely. I mean, like obviously War is like the sort of number one, because I think that's the one that we would be really good at. Um, Of course. You know, it's tough to say. I think I would probably love to do a Chibi Robo. Actually, that would be, Oh my gosh. That would be a lot of fun because Chibi Robo is a series. I felt didn't quite get the treatment that it deserved. Um, You had that, amazing first game which is just so weird and fun and unique yeah and then the sequels were sort of they kind of just drifted in every different direction you know and i think if we were asked to do that that would be a lot of fun for sure just because again like we're all about the weird over at summit sphere so (laughs) i love it you know i think that we would we would have an interesting take on it for sure I have, I, that is
0: not the answer
3: (laughs) I I thought you were going to (laughs) say. I'm curious. What, 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 uh, what did you think I was going to say?
0: I was think, I mean, like I, I obviously I removed Wario from the equation, but I was thinking like either something, you know, Metroid related. Cause, cause I knew that you had a lot of pre existing love for, uh, for Metroid, for but sure. I mean like there, there are a bunch of other, even something like Splatoon, I think kind of fits that vibe. Mm. Um, so to, to hear Chibi Robo, that, that makes me happy. I, I
3: will say, <laughs> I think the reason why I wouldn't go for uh, Metroid or Splatoon, is because I think in the case of Metroid, they found a really good home in Mercury steam. Um, right. Splatoon, obviously that's EAD's baby. Um, they yeah. are doing really well with that. And I think for Summitsphere, you know, and we have some stuff to announce in the future that uh, will potentially be of great excitement to people listening. But you know, besides our original games, one of our passions is resurrecting stuff that has been gone for a while and hasn't quite gotten the love that it deserves. So Chibi Robo to me kind of fits in that mold because it's something that's definitely beloved love that. but it didn't quite get to where it deserved to be. So you know, it's it, it it just feels right. I feel like Anton would actually be a good antagonist in a game like that. <laughs> I think th- I think if Anton was the antagonist in Chibi Robo, the game would be over very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. no! He
0: stepped on Chibi Robo. Boom! The end. Chibi Robo meets the the bottom of Anton's hammer really quickly. <laughs> well, may, maybe if it's like the first game, maybe you just encounter like an Anton plush or something somewhere in the world. You know, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. it's a collectible. Chibi yeah, couldn't yeah. even beat that up, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love look i love that answer well uh, again everybody go support anthem blast on kickstarter obviously a ton of passion and love going into this game and um again links to everything is in the episode description for you to follow summit sphere to follow tony and to uh, and to give those folks all of your money to hit all these awesome stretch goals so <laughs> yeah um with that let's roll up the red carpet one last time for Tony Grayson,
3: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for Ooh,
1: having me. Yeah, no worries, man. Thank you for uh, thank you for stopping by. Good luck. We're currently, as of this recording, at a hundred and ten thousand. That one twenty five uh, k stretch goal in sight. I know you oh, guys geez, are really going to hit that, and I really hope for the sake of all of our PlayStation and Xbox brethren that people just continue to support above and beyond that stretch goal as well but uh i'll I'll just ask you real quick before you get out of here i mean obviously you guys have been all over twitter what's been just your your 10 second reaction to all of the the anton blast
3: fan art that you've been seeing everywhere why (laughs) (laughs) um real real talk though like just just so no one listens to this and gets upset intensely humbled like there's just been so much amazing fan art and i'm i'm humbled the rest of the team is humbled that so many people seem to love anton and annie and satan i mean weird that you love (laughs) satan but you know go off i guess um really just thank you all so much it's been fantastic like really just keep it coming keep it coming stroke my ego (laughs) <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well, well, I have no doubt it will. Again, congrats on all the success. Good luck on the rest of the campaign and good luck with the rest of the game. We can't wait for it to come out again. Uh, links to everything are going to be in the description below. And we hope to have you back on the show sometime in the near future, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: Yeah. Wh- whenever you're ready to announce that September 21st, 2023 <laughs> date, definitely come through.
3: <laughs> uh, oh God, you're going to get me singing. thanks Tony thank you so much
0: well that was a great chat with Tony from Summit Sphere about Anthem Blast again currently exploding over on Kickstarter and (laughs) a game that you can actually impact directly the future of. So again, links to everything are in the episode description. We highly, highly, highly encourage you to uh, check out that Kickstarter, give them all of your money and support this awesome game.
1: Yes, definitely do. Very excited to play that in the future. But speaking of the future, Seth, we get to talk about E3 now this year. I cannot wait. It's going to be Eric.
0: Eric, I, I'm I'm sorry, dude. I I, I hate to oh, bring yeah. this up again, but oh yeah. Sad Eric. Well, it may not be E3,
1: but man did the first week of June feel like June. It felt mm-hmm. like that E3 time of year with the state of play and with LRG three coming in a couple of days, and with everything happening soon, we know we know that Nintendo is still going to be dropping a massive June Direct on us sometime. Don't know where. We don't know when. It could come from anywhere, but we know one is coming. And we have quite a few thoughts about what we can expect from this year's not E3 Nintendo Direct.
0: Yes. So again, not sure when it's going to happen, but we do know it's going to happen. There are a lot of things kind of percolating around not E3. You had the Summer Game Fest. Kind of kicking off with Sony's state of play, we it kicks off properly next week. um, We've got like the wholesome games, we got LRG three, we got you know all of this stuff happening, and we're just kind of waiting on Nintendo to uh, to kick the ball. And um, until then, though, we couldn't wait any longer to give the folks our thoughts.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, there is so so much going on in the world of Nintendo that we already know about. A few things that could get announced, a few things that we will possibly on getting announced but we certainly know that this is going to be a huge month for the nintendo faithful so let's get into it what are some of the things that we can expect from not e3 from nintendo's june direct i think we should start with a couple of the the obvious ones the low-hanging yeah. fruit the ones we can basically take it to the bank are going to show up in this direct. And, you know, honestly, I think the easiest ones, the easiest calls to make are going to be, we're probably going to see, I mean, a a breath of the wild two trailer is basically a given at this point, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I I think that especially after the delay, um, I think Nintendo wants people to come away feeling positive about that game. Um, Maybe a name reveal, Um, in this trailer maybe finally kind of giving giving the fans a reason to think that the game is like real and coming um i don't know if they're going to commit to a date but yeah i do expect to see a trailer um and i wouldn't be surprised if they finally gave it a name at this direct
1: i think at this point you kind of have to We've only seen a little bit of gameplay and it's already been delayed until next year. It's already been delayed out of holiday 2022 into next year. It wasn't even given a date when it was delayed. So it's clear that Nintendo still is a little unsure about when it's actually coming out. But I do think that especially if you have committed, at least tentatively, to an early 2023 date, We have got to see some more of substance. That trailer, the last trailer we got for Breath of the Wild 2 looked really good. The game is already clearly very far along, especially if it's going to be releasing in like nine months. But despite the fact that it is a Zelda game and it's still going to sell incredibly well, you still got to market your stuff. So I think a Breath of the Wild 2 trailer is a given, basically.
0: I think so, too. And another thing that we should say, um, it's always weird to predict stuff for Nintendo because Nintendo is going to have almost certainly at least one other Direct this year at some point. And we're trying to target the naughty 3 June timeframe when we assume there's going to be one, but they're probably going to do one in September, too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it one way or the other, but you know, either way you slice it, yeah. I, I think that they... Kind of owe it to the fans to showcase Breath of the Wild too in some way.
1: Yeah. And I don't think it's gonna be in the direct proper necessarily, but I still mm. think that we're going to get a couple treehouse style streams from Nintendo. And considering that so. and considering that Mario Strikers Battle League is about to come out, I would almost bet money that one of those treehouse style streams is going to be showing off the brand new Mario Strikers.
0: Yeah. I could see it. Um, and there's, you know, there's a couple games that are like very sort of immediate um, with with Nintendo. Mario Strikers will have presumably just come out. Mm-hmm. It's coming out next week on the 10th. Um, the new Fire Emblem, you know, will have been coming out. So like there's some kind of immediate games that, uh, that they could show off and then they'll probably show off something that they're going to announce during the E3 as well. Um, if, if they wind up doing Treehouse stuff, I hope they do. I love that stuff.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, we've got, obviously, like you said, we've got Fire Emblem and we've got Mario Strikers. But there's also a couple games coming out in just a few months. And we can definitely expect to see those at the Nintendo Direct. Of course, we are talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Splatoon 3 a couple trilogy capping games coming out in September, right at the tail end of summer. And I, again, those are two more that I think are basically a given for this direct.
0: I think so too. I think uh, for Splatoon three specifically, I know we have that September, I think ninth, I think it's September 9th release date. Um, but I, I really feel like we still haven't seen all that much of Splatoon three, like really kind of give me a taste of the story um and maybe showcase something that's going to make this game feel truly new. I think a lot of people are getting a little bit of sameness from Splatoon 3. So I would love to see a Splatoon 3 trailer here. I think it's practically a given, and I would like to see them show off something actually new about Splatoon 3. Not just more Salmon Run, not just more multiplayer. Show me something new. <laughs>
1: I mean, at Splatoon 3, it's looking really good. Just looks like... It looks like it's still running in the Splatoon 2 engine, but it looks like they're adding a ton of stuff to the game. And Splatoon 2 is one of my favorite shooters of all time. The Splatoon franchise is just so unique and wonderfully cartoonishly bonkers that as long as they just continue to build on the already great foundation the series has, I don't think Splatoon 3 can miss. And especially when it comes to Xenoblade Chronicles 3, you and I are, let's just say, fair fans of the game. <laughs> oh yeah. So I, I, obviously Xenoblade Chronicles three is going to be a very new beast. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of similarities. It's part of the Xenoblade series. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of similarities to past games, but that's kind of the thing with RPGs is you really have to differentiate them. And I know that monolith soft is going to knock it out of the park again. But I do really hope that we get a good feel at the Nintendo Direct here in June for for really what Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is going to look like. Aside from just being a JRPG, we all know we're going to get day one.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, um, they've been showing a lot of stuff on Twitter, yep. but the average you know, gamer isn't looking at Twitter. They need to be on the main stage, you know. Um, especially since that's going to be a huge game, obviously, um, for their summer. That's gonna be like their big July game. That game's gonna sell really well. They've bet a lot of money on it. They've moved it up in the release schedule. So yeah, I, I think a new trailer there is, is practically a guarantee.
1: Another one I think is a pretty strong lock is Bayo 3. I it, it we waited a long time. We waited a very long Long time since that title reveal before we got any kind of information, but we have, I mean, we've had a full, huge gameplay trailer already. They're ready to start showing this game off in a substantial way, so leading up to its release, I, it would not surprise me at all to see a new trailer for Bayo 3 come the June Direct
0: yeah, we need a release date. Like, um, I think Bayonetta three is not only going to get a, get a trailer; it's probably going to get a release date. Maybe we'll get a look at like some kind of fancy collector's edition. I mean, there's a lot of hype going into Bayonetta three. This is a long-awaited sequel to a phenomenal game series. Um, I'm even going to take it a step further. I think it's coming in October. I think Bayonetta three is coming in October. I think it makes perfect sense. You think it's going to be I the? Think uh, kinda...
1: You think it's going to be the Metroid Dread of this year?
0: Yeah, I think it's going to fall into that kind of category. I also think, you know, she's a witch, so she kind of has those Halloweeny vibes, you know. <laughs> it's fair. Um, I think I think there's a kind of a mid to late October time frame with Bayonetta 3. And something I like to do is I like to look back at kind of previous releases in the series, and Bayonetta 2 and 1 both came out in October, respectively. Um, Bayonetta 1 released October 29th Bayonetta 2 released on October 24th on Wii U so I I think that it's a perfectly safe bet to assume that we get a new trailer for three uh at at this direct and it's gonna have a mid to late October release
1: I dig it I like it another October release date for the Umbra witch herself I dig it uh, there are a couple things that we are actually on the flip side expecting, not to see. Unfortunately, dear listeners, uh, we really don't think that Metroid Prime 4, we still think it's going to be missing in action. We know we got Bayo 3, and they did the title reveals the same night at the Game Awards, but you know what? They they are not the same game, and they they've already said that they had to go back to basically the drawing board on metroid prime 4 i i don't think that it's time yet especially with metroid dread another high profile game in the series granted yes a very different style a very different jo- uh, very different genre to metroid yeah. prime but still a very high profile game in the metroid series just came out 7 months ago seven, eight months ago. So I don't expect to see another Samus Aran adventure this month, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about Metroid Prime when we get into our kind of personal predictions. But, no, I don't think Metroid Prime 4 is going to be here. I think they're being very, very cautious, because, here's the thing, it's like a darned-if-you-do, darned-if-you-don't situation. If they show it now, when they're not ready to, if they're not ready to, if they don't feel like they have enough to show, then people are just going to be mad. Like, we waited all this time, you don't have anything substantial. Like, Nintendo is probably more willing to continue hanging on to this game until they're ready to show something very substantial. I mean, keep in mind when metroid dread was announced it was announced just a few months before release so i wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear about metroid prime 4 until this time next year genuinely
1: probably you're probably right but there's another game that we think is still going to be a safe bet that it's also going to be missing in action as well and that's kind of fitting considering that it's a military-based Game mm-hmm. with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine still not resolved, still grabbing headlines all over the world. Uh, we think Nintendo is going to continue to sit on Advance Wars. This is a game that should have come out. This is a game that should already be in our rear view. But Nintendo very famously and very rightfully decided to pull the plug on the game's launch, uh, given all of the, let's just say, the tenuous. World events ongoing in that part of the globe, and with it still being a really dicey situation, again, all of our thoughts and prayers are going out to the people in the Ukraine dealing with that stuff. But I don't think Advance Wars One and Two Reboot Camp is going to be making a uh, an appearance this month either.
0: A direct's not the right place for it. That's gonna be um that that's gonna be like a wake you wake up on Twitter on a random Tuesday and. There's a new PR statement. Hey, this is the new date for Advance Wars. And they're probably going to release that very soon. Like, the game's done. Like, it was... They they delayed it, like, less than a month before the intended release. So, like... They're they're going to come out and say, like, hey, this is out within the next month, whenever they're ready to do it. Maybe it's later this year. Maybe it's like a December sort of thing. I could see Advance Wars occupying that sort of space. But whenever now, I guess my point is now is not the time for it and this is not the place for it. But whenever it happens, it's probably going to be just a Twitter drop or a new trailer or something.
1: Mm hmm. I I don't know. We'll see. I'm still really, really looking forward to that. That's going to be a ton of content. The Advance Wars games are not small packages. So having two of those games together, we are going to be playing that game for quite a while. But moving forward, you know, onward to the future. And that's the whole thing about this episode. Moving onward, talking about the future. Uh, Let's talk about NSO a little bit here. And we'll start with... The Mario Kart Booster Pack.
0: Yeah, I think this is pretty safe um, because the, the first booster course pack or whatever dropped, I think, in March. So we're kind of due for another drop. I mean, I know we're expecting these to be kind of coming throughout the end of next year. Um, but still it does, it does kind of feel like you want a cadence of like every few months release a new course pack. So yeah, I do sort of expect to see that, um, here and maybe even a shadow drop, I I think is not out of the question.
1: Yeah. I was kind of thinking a shadow drop as well, because I mean, that's the whole point of the booster passes continuing to continue to sell more copies of the game and continuing to sell Mm -hmm. more expansion packs. You're going to have a massive audience watching this Nintendo Direct this month, and what better way to get people to impulse buy something than to drop a massive new dose of content for it. So I really do think that a Shadow Drop is likely for the next two cups in the Mario Kart Booster Pass, and... I mean, I really want to see some more of those Mario Kart Tour courses. I really do. They were me the, too. they were by far the standout courses for me in the first part of the Booster Pass, and it's been a few months. We haven't heard a single thing about it. That is very deliberate. I, I think it's a fairly easy bet that we're going to see uh, news, and again, probably a shadow drop for the newest couple cups in the mario kart booster pass dlc but when it comes to the nso and the expansion pack we think that's just the tip of the iceberg
0: yeah i mean we need an n64 update for sure um we know that pokemon snap is the last of the confirmed releases Mm -hmm. that's that's the last of this sort of wave so that's another one where i wouldn't necessarily be shocked for them to either announce a very soon release date or maybe even shadow drop it um, they've been doing this sort of monthly release cadence, so you know if if May's release was Kirby uh, Kirby 64, then June's release must be Pokemon Snap, right? So I think it would make a lot of sense for them to say, "Here's Pokemon Snap, and here's what you can expect in sort of Wave Two of N64." Now they've and that's going to be really interesting because they've already been kind of like putting on the hits, and and we have most of the premier N64 games on this app already, yeah. So they they are going to be, you know, hard pressed to fill out some. But, you know, that's where we can see stuff like Mario Party and Wave Race. And I mean, there are still some games that, that do need to come to that app.
1: Absolutely. And especially when it comes to the Nintendo 64 app, because you do need to pay quite a bit more for the expansion pack as opposed to just the normal uh, NSO subscription. They've been continuing to just shadow drop SNES and NES games, which is very, uh, welcome. Continue to do that, please, Nintendo. But when it comes to trying to ask people to part with, you know, fifty dollars as opposed to twenty for an online subscription, mm-hmm. you need to keep giving people like there always needs to be those carrots. Unfortunately, it's very much a "what have you done for me lately" kind of mentality, and You're right. You, you need to continue to give people reasons to to invest in those big premium subscriptions. You can continue to just shadow drop and add games unannounced to your low-level subscription service, but you need to have a plan. You need to have a roadmap. People need to know what's coming for the expansion pack of the games. You can't just ask people to pay $50 and be like, okay, what are you going to continue to add? Oh, it's a secret. We'll reveal it, we we'll <laughs> reveal it. No, you have to be able to tell people concretely, well, we're going to be adding these games over the next couple months. So I I think it's basically a given that we're going to get a new roadmap of N64 games very, very soon. Maybe even a new roadmap for some of the Genesis games because a lot of people forgot, but yes, the, the Sega Genesis is also part of the expansion pack.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'd be cool to see. Another thing that we are sort of in agreement on is, you know, there have been a lot of rumors lately. I think now might be the time to add Game Boy and Game Boy Color mm-hmm. to the service.
1: I mean, especially with the Nintendo 3DS going away at the beginning of Next year, no longer being able to buy and download those old virtual console, Game Boy, Game Gear, Game Boy Color games. All of those classics are going to be removed from Nintendo's online storefronts. I and mean, it really is coming up on the perfect time to start adding those in to the Nintendo Switch. It makes way too much sense. And those, you want to talk about a roadmap, a carrot on a stick to get people to buy the expansion pack? a lot of those will get people to buy the expansion pack.
0: Here's my hot take. I actually don't think that Game Boy, Game Boy Color is expansion pack. I think they add that to the standard service and they put, whenever they do GBA, that goes to expansion pack. Like take your sort of like easy gets, with game boy and game boy color Mm -hmm. and add that add additional value to the standard tier. they still want people to buy both tiers. That's why they're still supporting NES and super Nintendo. So if you add that to a standard tier, you, you let those people feel like they're not getting just totally left in the dust. And then whenever it's time for GBA, which is much more valuable in the eye of the consumer, that's where all the nostalgia is. Those are the ones that go for crazy aftermarket prices. GBA games go on expansion pack. So it's like, hey, we have you in. You got your NES. You got your Super Nintendo. Now you got your Game Boy and Game Boy Color. That's cool. You can stay over there in the kiddie pool. But if you want to come over here with N64 and with GBA, you're going to have to pay.
1: (laughs) Give that's me, my theory. Give me Astro Boy Omega Factor.
0: Yes, yes. I don't know if that's going to be at at this. I I think they they probably roll those out separately. But I do think that's how they're going to do it. But we'll see. But
1: we also kind of think that there's going to be one other big addition to. The expansion pack. Obviously, we've already talked about the Mario Kart Booster Pass. They have added the Happy Home. Okay, well, what was it? I can't never remember the the Happy
0: Home Paradise. Happy Home Paradise. Yeah. The
1: Happy Home Paradise. Another massive piece of DLC to the expansion pack. They added the Octo expansion, and we think that the expansion pack is going to get another huge piece of DLC leading up to the release of the next game in the series.
0: Yeah. I mean, think about how much sense it would make if you have Xenoblade three coming out and you give people the opportunity to instantly catch up with the entire franchise available on switch. You put a discount on Xenoblade Chronicles. You put a discount on Xenoblade Chronicles two, and then you come around and you say, Hey, guess what? Expansion pack members. You now have instant access to Xenoblade Chronicles 2 expansion. Again, this is an expansion pack Torna, the Golden Country. Like that, that would make so much sense. I think they would sell a lot of copies of those games, and it would give people the opportunity to instantly sort of complete the entire trilogy uh, of Xenoblade games leading up to the release of three.
1: And another big thing about doing that specifically is that Torna, the Golden Country, is $40 as a standalone expansion. So that gives Nintendo the ability to say, hey, we're giving this to you at a pretty significant discount. And in it's addition, incredible value. And in, in addition to that, you get all of this other amazing stuff.
0: Yeah. By the way, Torna is like its own Basically, game. yeah. Like it's it's basically its own thing it's like an expansion spin-off sort of thing but it basically is its own xenoblade game and required playing and and you know there you could argue that there are things about it that are better than xenoblade 2 um, it's really really good and so i think that there are a lot of people that probably haven't played it i think it's a great way to get that sort of expansion into the public eye and it, it, again it adds an incredible value to the expansion pass i it's, i think it would be very smart for them to do that
1: Now, it is basically a standalone game with Torny. You don't actually need Xenoblade Chronicles 2 to play it, but... But you should still play Xenoblade 2. (laughs) But yeah, you should absolutely still play Xenoblade. Just do be aware, especially if you're on the younger side, that women don't look like that in real life, kids. Uh,
0: Yeah that is true that is true but we've talked about some of the more like safe predictions some of the things that we we agree are probably safe bets things that we expect to see but how about we get into some personal ones how about we get a little bit crazier
1: let's get nuts (laughs) everyone's like yeah this is all fine and dandy what's the juicy stuff seth and eric give me the juice yes what's the tea (laughs) all right i'm gonna i'm gonna start with something that I think is still relatively safe. I feel like it's relatively safe. Uh, I, I really think that despite, despite them not tweeting about it also coming to the Nintendo switch, when it was revealed at the state of play, I do think we are getting tunic and I think it's going to have the same release date as the PlayStation version, we're getting Tunic on the Nintendo Switch. It's going to be this year's Death Store.
0: Yeah, I completely concur. I don't know if it's here. I don't know if it, maybe it's more appropriate for a the, the September Direct or maybe like an August Indie World Showcase. But I do agree with you. I, I think Tunic is coming to the Nintendo Switch on September 27th. And
1: maybe yeah. it's not even shown off in the Nintendo Direct itself. Maybe it's at Day of the Devs.
0: Also possible yeah I could I could definitely see that um, I actually have a prediction related to day of the devs. So I'm gonna pull out my my Charlie Day conspiracy whiteboard <laughs> real quick and I'm just gonna throw this out into the ether. You all know neon white is maybe my most anticipated game of the year currently. Um, I'm so hyped for neon White and I have a theory I think I know when the game is releasing. Um, they have been kind of ramping up the sort of marketing for neon white. They've been revealing the voice cast, which 90% of which I knew just by hearing it playing the demo, but they've been revealing the voice cast over Twitter. They're kind of gearing up towards day of the devs. And I do think they're going to announce this release date at day of the devs with a new trailer. Um, I think that release date is June 24th and here's why. They currently have on Steam, this is not present on the Nintendo Switch, but on Steam you can currently wishlist the game and even pre-purchase the game, and there is a pre-order window discount, okay? People have asked them on Twitter, when does the discount end, and they said it's through June 23rd. So, oftentimes, with the Nintendo Switch, you'll have games go up for pre-order, And they have a discount associated to the pre-order where after the full game comes out, it goes back to standard price, right? So I think when when we get Day of the Devs on June 9th, they announce the release date, pre-orders go live, you get a discount up through June 23rd, and then what's June 24th? It's a Friday. It's release day, right? So I, I think it makes perfect sense. June 24th, Neon White, release date announced at Day of the Devs on June 9th. Take it to the bank.
1: I don't know. There, there's been a lot of stuff, especially when it comes to indie games and a lot of rumblings about release dates. There was something that made me think that the actual June Direct itself is going to happen or could potentially happen on the 16th because of right. all of the rumors swirling around about uh, TMNT Shredder's Revenge. Right. So that would be a fantastic shadow drop for Nintendo if they could shadow drop it from their show. And there's a ton of rumors swirling around that TMNT Shredder's Revenge is releasing on the 16th. So not necessarily a game prediction, but maybe a potential prediction of when the Direct itself is happening so that would be very interesting and it would give people just enough of a cooldown from everything else to be really ready for the piece de resistance for the real cherry on the june explosion of summer games news
0: yeah nintendo always goes last so we already know we have xbox and bethesda happening on i think sunday the 12th -hmm. um so nintendo always goes after everybody else i think the 16th makes perfect sense
1: yeah I do too.
0: Um, if I'm going to go for another sort of crazier prediction, um, this is kind of going in in line with NSO. We've already talked a lot about NSO. Um, again, we we sort of predict Pokemon Snap coming out in June. Here's the next wave of N64 games. I think one of the games in the next wave is GoldenEye. That's what I think.
1: Really? That's That is a legal hornet's nest.
0: It is, um, although we do know that GoldenEye for Xbox has been, it's like, it's a thing. There are achievements for it. Mm-hmm. There are screenshots of it. Um, they just had that whole snafu in Germany, you know, kind of taken care of. Um, I think they're sitting on it and waiting for the right time. Um Nintendo and Xbox have been friendly for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get as crazy as I did last year <laughs> predict X Cloud coming to Switch. However, I do think there's there's plenty of handshaking between the Xbox and Rare stuff. We obviously have Banjo on the service. Um, I think that's going to continue. And I think the perfect way to sell people on Expansion Pack is to say, hey, you remember that nostalgic shooter? It's coming out in July. We're going to have Pokemon Snap for June. We're going to have GoldenEye in July, which that just sounds good, doesn't it? Goldeneye July. <laughs> Have that out in July with online multiplayer. Like that I know it's a bit of a crazy prediction, but I think it would make a lot of sense.
1: Just having Goldeneye a lot of people, we just kind of figured that Banjo-Kazooie was was as far as Xbox really wanted to play with Nintendo, we were happy to get Banjo and Smash. We were happy, very happy to get Banjo-Kazooie on the Nintendo 64 NSO. If they were able to get another of Rare's iconic N64 catalog, that would really open the floodgates. That would really open the doors to a lot more speculation.
0: Mm-hmm. Golden Pro Controller 2, let's go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And have a whole nother generation of school-aged kids, like, stupid odd job.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would be... Like, Goldeneye doesn't super hold up today, but everybody would be playing Goldeneye. Yeah. Everybody would be playing Goldeneye. It doesn't
1: hold up as well, but it's still... there's There's... There, there's still a quality to it that
0: timeless.
1: Well, I don't want to say timeless necessarily because again, the gameplay hasn't really aged too well. But it's the nostalgia, the, the man, nostalgia. Yeah, yeah, the absolute nostalgia factor. It is strong, strong with Goldeneye still. Oof. But another one that I. And I don't even feel like this is really going out on a limb because there's a game that a lot of people seem to have forgotten about that is still slated for release in this calendar year that we don't even have a date for yet. If it was going to be delayed, Nintendo would have done it prior. They would have done it comfortably before June. So that people could have come to grips with it. If it was going to get delayed, it would have already been delayed. But no, Mario plus Rabbids 2 Sparks of Hope is still releasing this calendar year. We are getting a date for that during the June Direct. We are getting another big gameplay trailer and we are getting a date for Mario plus Rabbids 2 this month.
0: Yeah, I think that's another really good candidate for Treehouse, for Treehouse Live. Yeah. Um, to have Mario plus Rabbids on there Um, I I think yeah I think you're absolutely right I think it's getting dated Um, Ubisoft is not doing they they announced this past week they're not doing their own E3 press conference or anything Um, so it makes sense to piggyback with Nintendo on this one Um, we saw in a previous Nintendo Direct um, and they also have that new uh, adventure party or party legends or whatever it is coming out at the end of June so I think you're going to get a tit for tat like I think you're going to have a one two punch of you know release date trailer for sparks of hope with more info in a treehouse live and you're gonna have like hey there's another raving rabbits game coming to switch at the end of the month i I think you're spot on yeah
1: especially especially once ubisoft came out and said they're not doing their own presentation especially once they said they're not doing their own presentation i said clearly clearly that's because their biggest title is going to be in nintendo's presentation.
0: Yep. I think you are correct on that, sir. I'm going to go out on a limb here with one of mine. This is a little bit crazy.
1: We love crazy in this, in this segment.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Um, I, I, it's crazy, but I, I don't know how crazy it really is. So, uh, we talked about breath of the wild too. Obviously that's not going to be coming out this year. But Nintendo, by all accounts, is very keen to release a Zelda game every year of the Nintendo Switch's life. In 2017, we got Breath of the Wild. In 2018, we got um, we got Hyrule Warriors, right? We got Link's Awakening in 2019, along with Cadence of Hyrule. In 2020, we got Age of Calamity. And then in 2021, we got Skyward Sword HD. We have had a Zelda game Every single year since the Switch's release. 2022, just because Breath of the Wild 2 isn't coming out, it's not going to be any different. We will have some sort of Zelda game this year. Um, now, if that's going to be Wind Waker or Twilight Princess HD, I I think that's very possible. By all accounts, Nintendo's been kind of sitting on those games and waiting for the opportunity to release them. I think now is the perfect year to release them. I think a lot of people would be very excited about that. There have also been, I am aware of the rumblings of the Oracle remakes. Um, that would make me very happy. As much as I would love to see those games, I don't know if that's more likely than, um, than having the Twilight Princess and Wind Waker HD. Like the work on those games is done. You just have to bring it over to the Switch. So... Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. But my prediction nonetheless is there will be a Zelda game revealed here. 2020, like the, the sun will not set on 2022 <laughs> without a Zelda game.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it. I mean, obviously, the Zelda franchise is one of the best franchises in the history of ever. So more of those. Yes, please. And thank you. Especially considering that of all the games that have made it from the Wii U to the Nintendo Switch. Twilight Princess HD and Wind Waker HD are two, have been two very notable exceptions for the past several years. So yeah, that, that, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to say that's going to happen yet, but I certainly would not hate it if it did.
0: No year without Zelda. (laughs) No year without Zelda. No year without.
1: Exactly. And I know that this is probably even going further out on a limb but considering that Nintendo has already demonstrated that they will randomly just continue to support this series years after the fact i i do really think that they're not going to make the same mistake they did with uh, Super Mario Party. I think they're actually going to release DLC for Mario Party Superstars. I think we're actually Ugh. going to get a couple
0: more boards. Don't do not do that. Don't give me <laughs> don't hope. Don't give you
1: hope. <laughs> Seth, you and I had so much fun we need to go back to it that we've had so it's a great much fun on mario party superstars it's so so good it's such a great selection of mini games great selection of boards and it plays wonderfully i really think i really think there's a good chance that we could wind up getting some dlc for mario party superstars and i would be all about that
0: it does need a shot in the arm it definitely does need a shot in the arm. Yeah. Like, cause as great as the game is, I think a lot of people have sort of fallen off of it. So I, I would really like to see that. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm ready to take that leap with you, but, but I, I hope beyond hope that you're right. I really do.
1: And honestly, if you wanted to bring a couple of the boards from super Mario party over, those were some really yeah. good boards. I really liked them.
0: I'd be down for that. I would be down for that. Um, I have a prediction that is kind of a piggyback off of our no Metroid Prime 4 prediction. I said then that that I had some good news for Metroid Prime fans. I think that uh, there have been a lot of rumors percolating about a remake of the first game. November 18th is the 20th anniversary of that first Metroid Prime game on the Nintendo GameCube. I think the rumors are true. I think it makes perfect sense to remake Metroid Prime, not bring out an HD remaster of the trilogy because they, they did come out. Ex retro employees did come out recently and say that that would be a very difficult uh, thing to do on the Nintendo switch for whatever reason, some weird thing about the way that it was built specifically for the Wii and like the, some of the processes on Wii. And that's the reason it worked on Wii U, but couldn't work on switch some weird junk like that. But I think it makes perfect sense to dole out remakes. They've got like a new Metroid Prime remake engine and do remakes of each Metroid Prime game leading up to the release of Metroid Prime, uh, Prime 4 because you can get... $60 out of us by releasing these remakes each time. (laughs) Literally, you could do Metroid Prime remake. Here's 60 bucks. Metroid Prime 2 remake next year. Here's 60 bucks. Metroid Prime 3. Here's another 60 bucks. And then Metroid Prime 4, another 60 bucks. I think it makes perfect sense. You don't have to worry about any of the weird mumbo jumbo because you're remaking the games with a new engine anyway. And you've got the 20th anniversary. November 18th makes perfect sense. That is the date that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are coming out. I'm aware of that. Um, however, I think that those audiences are different enough. I think that you and I are coming away from the store that day with Metroid Prime Remake and Pokemon Scarlet and Violet in our bags. Oy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, this, like this year wasn't going to be busy enough for us already. Like we weren't already going to have mm-hmm. enough games to review. Oy. And it wouldn't be E3 or not E3 predictions if we weren't at least going to talk about some series, some franchises that could finally be resurrected by Nintendo. As as crazy as it is to think, folks, we're already in the Nintendo Switch's sixth year. We've already had a ton of first-party games. There's already like half a dozen Mario platformers on this. We've already got, like Seth said, we've already got nearly half a dozen core Zelda adventure games on here. Just in retail form not even counting the nso so when it comes to franchises that actually haven't that actually haven't made their way to the nintendo switch yet it's it's getting kind of slim pickings but there are a couple very notable franchises that it's it's time it really is it's time we never thought we were going to get a triple a metroidvania game In the Metroid series, it happened. A lot of people, I don't think, thought we were going to get a new WarioWare game, but it happened mostly thanks to Seth's incantation. You're welcome. Yes, thank you very (laughs) much, Seth. (laughs) Both of those happened last year. And so for this year, I'm going to say it because Nintendo does seem to still be, like there's a small team somewhere at Nintendo Somehow keeping the pulse of Star Fox going. Mm. Whether it's making sure that Star Fox 2 gets out on the uh, SNES Classic, whether it's making sure that Star Fox gets added to the NSO, whether it's trying whatever they can with the star Fox formula to continue to get console releases, like with star Fox adventures and star Fox zero, there is a small team of people at Nintendo that are keeping star Fox alive. And I think after six years here in the sixth year of the switch, I honestly think we're going to get a new star Fox game announced.
0: Oh man. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Look, I, I love you. I support you. I, I love <laughs> our, our buddy Dan from Retrologic, of course. Massive Star Fox fan. I love you guys. I, uh, I, I, I would love to be wrong. I, I just feel like that some of these franchises like Star Fox and F Zero are are just dead. And uh, I would love to be wrong, but uh, you know, I, I I am going to hope beyond hope yet again.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, what franchise or franchises? do you think that we actually stand a shot at seeing Seth?
0: So I have a couple, um, I can't take full credit for this thought. This actually came to me when I was listening to our friends at carpool gaming, the Nintendo drive console, Kato, the sauciest potato, uh, <laughs> did, did call this out. And I think she's right. When she said this, I was like, the more I thought about it, the more sense it made to me. I think this is the perfect time to reintroduce Dogs to the Nintendo switch. um, I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a perfect casual game. We're starting to see some of those like Nintendo DS, Nintendo Wii era franchises come back. I think about Big Brain Academy coming back to the Switch. These sort of like $30, $40 games that they can kind of put out and appeal to that casual market. I think Nintendogs fits right in line with that. And I think it could even come this year. I think it could be a perfect like December game. Like right in time for Christmas. I, I think it's the perfect kind of thing to throw out there and, and buy your kids to put under the tree. Like, absolutely.
1: Just make sure you don't boot the snoot on your OLED screen too hard, folks.
0: <laughs> and in keeping with that, um, I think, and this is kind of more of a, of a, my thought, and I don't think it's coming this year. I think this would be more of a next spring thing, but you know, I think Nintendo's kind of looking for the next animal crossing. Um, Animal Crossing New Horizons. There's still a lot of people making content for it. The game does still have a beating heart. Happy Home Paradise just came out and all the rest. But um, I do think that Nintendo is kind of looking to tap into that market again, make that lightning in a bottle again. Um, and I think the franchise they could do this with is Tamodachi Life. Um, people laugh at me when I talk about Tamodachi Life and how much time I spent with that game on the Nintendo 3DS. <laughs> it's a fantastic game. And it actually sold really well, all things considered. It sold like 7 million copies. So I could only imagine, especially after they brought over Miitopia. Miitopia is another game that's kind of in this same vein. Like the success that they saw with that on the Nintendo Switch, I think they could absolutely tap into with Tamanachi Life while also appealing to that Animal Crossing crowd. I think that's a perfect game for spring 2023 Tamodachi life on switch, either a port of the old one or a brand new game would make me very, very happy. That's a day one purchase for me.
1: And I actually had a couple thoughts in regards to the DS as well, because, you know, I really think, I really think especially with the propensity of, uh, with the saturation, with the, I'm gonna use my thesaurus here. With the the <laughs> myriad, with the forest of collections that we've gotten on the Nintendo uh, on the Nintendo Switch, especially in recent months, in recent years, and especially with the TMNT Cowabunga collection, the Capcom Fighting Collection, and of course, maybe this is just me still thinking about the. Uh, Pac-Man Museum Plus, but there are some really interesting Nintendo DS games that could really could really stand the collection treatment. You could have, I mean, honestly, the Ace Attorney franchise has already gotten the collection treatment. Do it with Professor Layton, but mm-hmm. I really think there's a good chance we could potentially see a collection of Mario and Luigi games.
0: Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to see that. Keep the alpha dream alive. <laughs> I would love to see that, man. That that would be a ton of value for sure. It would be. I mean,
1: we already have a collection of RPGs in the works. We're just waiting for it to be released in the form of Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp. I think that there is a decent chance that we could get a collection of Mario and Luigi games.
0: All right, well... Let me just go ahead and say it. Let me just go ahead and say what everybody's been waiting for me to say. Donkey Kong.
1: Donkey Kong. I thought you you were going to say the LeChonk (laughs) spinoff.
0: The LeChonk spinoff. Donkey Kong. I mean, I I don't know if I feel like it's coming this year or not. We've talked about a lot of games coming this year. I don't think Nintendo necessarily needs it this year. Um, There have been a lot of people that I've been seeing online thinking that this is somehow a weak year. I'm like, this is a phenomenal year for Nintendo. Are you kidding me? i
1: saying it's a weak
0: year. Yeah. I'm like seeing a lot of people talking about it's a weak year. I'm like, no, you guys are crazy, man. I mean, like I, I really don't think they need donkey Kong this year. I think they can afford to hang on to it. And so I think they're going to, however, they always have some sort of like tease for next year in these directs. I just, I like donkey Kong has got to be, coming it has to be coming i will continue banging this conga drum every time we do something like this because i firmly believe that there is a donkey kong game coming to the nintendo switch i do think next year makes more sense now especially after the mario movie got delayed um, and we already know that the donkey kong land is in the works and that's not happening until next year um you know so but but nonetheless donkey kong probably 2023 but donkey kong you have to show it it's time. <laughs> Lift the curtain. But um, again, that's that's kind of an obvious one that, that I think people have been waiting on me to say, of course I'm predicting Donkey Kong. Are you kidding me? It's just me and Justin <laughs> Masson from the Nintendo Dads are the people carrying the torch for Donkey Kong right now. Oh, um, I, Dan just
1: said, what?
0: Yeah, right. Well, Dan Dan is kind of a little more apprehensive about it. Um, he, he's been hurt before. But Justin Masson and I have been carrying that Donkey Kong torch and I will continue to do that. Um, you know, what? whatever the, whatever the case may be, I, I will die on the Donkey Kong Hill, but I do have a little bit of a, I guess, crazier prediction that I think is also good for next year. Pikmin four. I think we get a tease for Pikmin four, a full proper sequel to Pikmin three coming in 2023. Um, I think that it's time. I think Pikmin 3 Deluxe did well on Switch. Pikmin 3 Deluxe was like instantly the best-selling game in the series. I think there's a lot of love internally still for Pikmin between Pikmin Bloom, between the hidden Pikmin at Super Nintendo World. Like, there is a very healthy beating pulse for Pikmin. I know a lot of people like to act like Pikmin is some dead franchise. It's not, folks. Um... I, and, you know, we've known that Pikmin 4 has been in development. Miyamoto talked about it openly, like, years ago, that Pikmin 4 was in development. We just haven't seen hide nor hair of it. So I think it's time. I think Pikmin 3 was a really good excuse to kind of, like, get the, you know, kind of grease the the wheels over there at that development studio. And, um, and I think it's time. I think Pikmin 4 is coming to the Nintendo Switch next year. And I think we get a teaser trailer for it at the Not E3 Direct.
1: I could see it. Pikmin three deluxe. You and I did a review of that game. We both really enjoyed it. I, there were some really, really cool new modes that they added. They added in all the DLC from Pikmin three. The bingo mode was super fun. The Christmas theme levels were super cool. I would be more than happy to jump back into the alien world of actually earth.
0: Yeah. A four that I think we're actually going to see Pikmin. Four. Fair enough. (laughs) Fair
1: enough. But here at the end, I've just got one last, I'm going to go so far out on a limb. I'm probably just going to walk right off the tree with this, but you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. It's E3. Let's go all in. There's a company that has in the past couple years become a force within this industry. It has been forging more and more high-profile partnerships. It seems like every month they've got a brand-new project, a brand-new partnership that is taking them to even greater heights, so much so that this year they opened up their very first brick-and-mortar location. They've worked with Konami. They've worked with Double Fine. They've worked with Way Forward. I I honestly think at this point, Limited Run Games has some type of partnership with Nintendo in the works, and I would not be surprised to see it revealed at LRG3 here in a couple of days.
0: You are a madman, my friend. I know.
1: <laughs> I know. I know that's super far out on the limb, but again just look at what LRG has done over the past couple of years and the companies that they are consistently regularly working with. Now they basically do all of Konami's physical releases at this point.
0: Yeah. Star by Wars. The way, too. Can, yeah. yeah.
1: By the way, can I get a Castlevania advanced physical, please?
0: Yeah, that'd be nice.
1: But I, I think I really do think that there is, that there is going to be some type of, I know Nintendo does all their own physical releases. I know that, but I do still think there is value added to a partnership with a company like LRG. So I don't know how, I don't know what it's going to encompass, but I do feel like there is a, there is enough of a chance for me to throw my hat out there and say, I think this could happen.
0: Well, well, I guess we'll find out if they announce it at LRG3 here in a few days. If that comes to pass, I, you just have to retire from predictions yeah. at that point. If that comes, it's- <laughs> I retire. I officially retire. It's never going to get better than that. <laughs> That'd be
1: the greatest call in the history of E3 if, yeah. I, if I were to call that. If I were to call that shot. Yeah, but, I'll give it
0: to you on that.
1: But we've given you guys some... some Easy predictions, ones you can take to the bank. If you're making your own bingo cards, some ones that are such sure things that you could probably use it as your free spot. But we've also given you some bonkers ones. But we're sure you have a couple predictions yourself. Let us know all of yours. Reach out to us on Facebook at all in podcast reach out to us on twitter at all in podcast come over join the conversation over on discord let's talk about not e3 and get geeked and get excited for nintendo's inevitable forthcoming june direct i cannot wait i am super stoked uh Make sure to also follow All In, a Nintendo podcast over on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Anchor, and everywhere else. Because once that direct happens, you are definitely going to want to tune in to hear about all of the Fallout. And you know what? Since June is basically gaming Christmas, you know what would be a great gift that you could
0: give to us guys. If you would drop some words over on iTunes, over on PodChaser and audible, you can leave us five star written reviews and on Spotify, you can leave us a beautiful five star rating. We would really appreciate it. We've got so much work ahead of us this month and, mm-hmm. uh, we would really appreciate your kind words and reviews and help us, uh, take over the Nintendo podcasting space.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but we, Regardless, we appreciate you guys. We appreciate each and every one of you who hang out with us, uh, who have hung out with us every week for these two years. Next week is our two-year anniversary. Yeah. So everybody who has hung out with us for these past two years, thank you all so, so much for hanging out with us and making us part of your weekly rotation namaste
0: namaste and don't forget head on over to kickstarter links are in the description to back Anton blast and uh, help them reach all their stretch goals and be a part of the future of this fantastic game uh again can't thank tony grayson enough for coming and hanging out on the show this week and we want to send all of our love and support to that special special game and again i mean speaking of looking to the future as you said Um, not only do we have all this stuff happening next week, we got summer game fest kicking off. We got day of the devs. We've got Mario strikers coming out. I mean, we definitely have to do a community game night Mm -hmm. um, next week for that. Uh, and then of course we've got the wholesome games direct on next Saturday. I mean, there's so, so much going on and we have our two year anniversary in the midst of
1: all of it. And Seth, could we potentially have something planned for that?
0: I think we might. Uh, you know, episode 100 was a big blowout for us, of course, and so we we knew though that we did need to do something special, something we've been planning for a long time to coincide with our two year anniversary. All in is turning two, and you're not gonna want to miss next week's episode to find out what we're doing to celebrate.
1: Ooh, nice tease! Going to be a great <laughs> great month, everybody, and we will certainly see you right back here next. Week. I have been when the
0: past was Eric. And I have been Seth Splitter's future perfect. We'll see you all next week for the two year birthday. We love you very much. Bye. <laughs>